Hello and welcome to the MinMax Show, a place about games, friends, and getting better. I'm Ben Hansen, joined by Jeff Marchiafava. That's me. We got Suriel Vasquez. That, that is me. And we have Kyle Hilliard. Hello. And in the future, we will have Leo Vader swapping in as well. Uh, we have a hell of a show here for you. This week, we're going to be talking about um, some smaller games we've been playing, like Oliha, uh, Persona 5 Strikers, Capcom Arcade Stadium, Ghosts and Goblins Resurrection, uh, the BlizzCon news, Overwatch 2, Diablo 4, all that fun stuff. And then, obviously, the back half of the show, we'll have some great community questions. Um, if you're listening to this or watching this and saying, what is wrong with these morons? Why do they look so stupid what's with those board games behind jeffum uh no and you're wondering uh, why we're not talking about the big playstation stream and the reveals from that stream uh, the news coming out of that um we are not doing that in this episode but we are for the first time ever at minmax we're going to record a bonus episode of the podcast where we break down all the news from the playstation state of play so if you're watching this and listening to this there should be another show in your feed that you can go to for that but it's not going to have the community questions it's not going to have the fun the, the the pizzazz the glitz the glamour that this show here will have yay right good sell okay great thanks um okay out of the gate some people in the community have noticed, hey, it has been a little while since you all have done uh, The Deepest Dive, our big community game club discussions where we break a game up into multiple chunks um, and then talk all about it with the community. Everybody on Discord or on uh, Patreon can submit a comment and then we'll read it on the show. Um, it's a great way to talk about new games, old games. And the last one we did was Cyberpunk 2077, which, Jeff, if I recall correctly, that lasted for three years, I think. I believe so, yes. Yeah, so we took a little breather after that one, but now it's time I mean, to... Oh, yeah. To be fair, that game is still in the process of coming out, as it turns out. So. <laughs> that is true. We should do it again once it actually launches. Just kick yeah. off the whole Deepest Dive one more time. Um, but no, so people have been asking what we're going to do next for the Deepest Dive. There are so many options. Uh, there are several things on the roadmap up ahead releasing this year or having a connection this year um, that we just cannot ignore, and I'm looking forward to a lot of those. But we have time now for... This is kind of like the Chrono Trigger window that it was last year, right? Where it's like, there's a little bit of wiggle room. Let's do something we really want to do. And there's a game that I've always wanted to finish. And it's embarrassing how many times I've started this game and not finished it. And Kyle loves this game. Uh, let's see. Top 20, I would say, conservatively for me. Maybe even top 15 or so. Okay. Uh, let's see. I'm sure Discord will hate it. But Jeff, do you want to give like the drum roll of a lifetime here? The next deepest dive is, ladies and gentlemen, as the drum roll cuts out, Batman Arkham Asylum. The first Rocksteady Batman game. Arkham Asylum, ladies and gentlemen, not the sequels. Uh, I'm really looking forward to playing through this game. It has been on my pile of shame for so long. Um, it is available... Oh, that's beautiful, Kyle. Uh, it's available. <laughs> <helpful> announcement. <laughs> I think so. But it's available everywhere. You know, you got it on Steam, uh, Xbox, PlayStation. I guess not Switch technically. Also not Wii U if you're going back in time. Um, but you can play the remastered edition, any version of Batman Arkham Asylum. We welcome everybody to play through this game with us. Um, it's like 12 hours long, so it's a tough one to divide. But we're going to try dividing it in half and have two discussions. So you can play through the first half of Batman Arkham Asylum. And the stopping point will be, Kyle said is a good point, is when you get the line launcher. So there's going to be some other things happening, probably some sort of climax. You get the line launcher. That's where you stop. 
and then you submit your thoughts on the first half of the game over on patreon.com slash minmax with two N's so we can read it on the show. Um, and that is going to be March 8th is when we'll be looking for your feedback on the first half of Batman Arkham Asylum. And then the next week, March 15th for the second half of Batman Arkham Asylum. I'm so excited for this, Kyle. I can't believe you've never... Have you finished any of the Arkham games? Yeah, that's the weird thing. I love City and I love Night. And I started Origins, but I've just never finished Asylum. I probably watched a recap before playing City, so I feel like I know a lot of the big beats, but I'm looking forward to still having some surprises in there. Like, the entire Scarecrow stuff, I really don't know what it's like in the game. Nice. Yeah, I'm excited to revisit it, because it's one that I, like, downloaded to my Xbox as recently as, like eight months or like maybe like five months ago okay with the intention of maybe replaying it just because it's like i love this game i'm curious how it holds up all these years later you know is it going to be tough to go back to we'll 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 find out and i can't wait yeah yeah for sure so join us for the deepest dive on batman arkham asylum it'll be kyle and i a friend of the show brian vore who has visited rocksteady um multiple times i went there once with him for the arkham knight cover story trip so he's should be a big expert in batman he loves the series so much and then we will have a surprise guest for the fourth um, and I was so happy I reached out to this person. Just, I, it's like a big ask, asking anybody not in the MinMax family, like, hey, do you want to be on this thing? It's going to be, you know, you got to play through this game from 2009 and then talk about it for hours and hours and hours and hours. And immediately they were on board. So we're going to have a special guest. Think about that it. Happened, that happened, huh? What's that? That happened? Yeah. They were, I didn't hear about that until now. That's sweet. Wait. That's going to be exciting for people. Yeah, it's it's really. I'm really glad you got a a certain Mr. Bruce Wayne on the podcast just to talk about because he's a really nice philanthropist. He's he's got a lot of you know great projects going on, and he's a big Batman fan. So he I said, think it, it it works. Yeah, yeah, that was surprising. I didn't know he was into Batman. You know. Yeah, yeah, cool. it was really weird. But yes, uh, stay tuned for the big reveal of that guest. But think about it in the same realm as you know Spider Man mm-hmm. Miles Morales and the guest we had for that one. That's a, probably a good way of looking at who we're uh, lining up for that one. Um, all right. Moving on, actual games. There's this little game that I've wanted to talk about for a long time, but I just don't have a platform to talk about games. Um, Oliha is the name of this game from Devolver Digital. Um, it is a tough spelling. It is O-L-I-J-A. Oliha, yeah, yeah. how I'm spelling it or pronouncing it? but I'm not sure if... I think in the game they pronounce it Olia even. Oh, but okay. I, so, but yeah. it, that's like There's from... a lot of I think, spoken... Yeah, it's like a very demonic voice that pronounces it, so I'm not sure if it's like Al. Very like, weird, I thought... But. Uh, what is a uh, Ouija, right? Like when I glanced at it, like on the eShop, I was like, oh, is that like based on the, the board game? The sort of moving the thing right, around? You know? Right, right. It is not. It is definitely <laughs> not. All. So it's developed by Skeleton <laughs> Crew Studio and uh, Thomas Olson, who also developed a game called Backslash, which is interesting. It's like a multiplayer brawler that looks so much like Olia or Aliha. Huh. Um, I really, really, really love this game. It's available on every platform you can get on switch or whatever you like um and i'm trying to figure out and this is why you're here uh kyle and sorry who also played it is it just like the right game at the right time for me or is this game as good as i think it is i definitely i i enjoyed it i think that it 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 works i think whether or not you like its inspirations which i think is a good kind of sticking point for it because i think I'd, I'd, i'd heard that it was you know very inspired by like Prince of Persia, like the original Prince of Persia, not even Sands of Time, and just a lot of those really beautifully animated PC games. It's kind of, yeah, but it I, feels like an, another world or something, but it's, yeah. yeah, it's more of an adventure first and platforming second take on that, I'd say. I mean, 
I don't know that I fully agree with that because mm. I feel like they meet in the middle because I feel like it is a, a good mix of like, here's the entire kind of progression of a game. And then here's like an interesting story that just happened to be four hours. I like, that's maybe one of my favorite parts about it is that it is, it is uh, like no filler really of just like, no. here's, yeah. here is your basic goal. You're going to accomplish it. They're going to, they basically tell you how big the game is from the outside where it's like, okay, you unveil uh, like one of the regions. Cause the whole premise is that you're, um faraday i think is your last name yeah um and so you're like this um shipwrecked captain of a ship uh and you're looking for your crew uh and also you're trying to get out of it because it's kind of like a hostile land and so you're you're kind of looking for these keys uh that'll help get you out you know through like some there's like some mysticism involved um so like as you're revealing the maps which is what let you access the next few levels you start revealing areas of the map and you see that it is one fourth of the map gets revealed at first and so you kind of are aware that whatever loop i do here i'm doing it four times which not like it's an interesting way to kind of establish here's how big our game is and we're just going to take you through it. it's going to be four hours or we're not going to like have you doing a bunch of backtracking unless you want to go get collectibles it's right. just kind of like we're going to get you in we're going to get you out really quick it's not going to be a metroidvania it's just going to be working your way through this yeah. every area feels different enough it just yeah it's a great way of putting it all killer no filler there's also i mean there's a home base which i know you love hansen like, i do it's, love it's limited it in in a way that i kind of ended up liking where it was like i your first time there you're like okay i gotta buy this little shack i gotta spend money to upgrade my health and then i can also spend money to get these hats but like you get them all pretty quickly like you've finished building well before you're done which i liked like it made it very satisfying to like okay i've got max health i've got my village all built out like i can go off an adventure and like you know not have to worry too much about gathering currency and yeah stuff and you're like, like recruiting that, you know? people is kind of like a, a bonus thing if you find more villagers to send them back to build up the town even more it's a simple loop but it is so satisfying just to have that home base that's slowly built up you know in a way it's just a boiled down version of assassin's creed valhalla for you kyle it's not taking hundreds of hours to build up your yeah. home base yeah and then it's also one, like nice and mysterious and creepy yes in a fun way like just the way the voiceover works is very you know another world out of this world where it's just sort of like really deep sort of mumbly kind of kind of like dark soulsy bloodborne whispery kind of like all right well you're here good luck go find this thing it just has it might be evil we're not sure language everyone kind of speaks like a like a uh, what i want to say is fake latin but it could be real latin for all i know yeah Uh, yeah. where it's just like here's like a a made-up language that we have and everything is subtitled so you're kind of reading everything um but yeah i think one thing that i really do like is that it, it it is like a very like um platformy game where you're doing like you end up getting a harpoon that lets you like travel through all the like through all these little eyeballs i guess fantasy 15 sword is what i uh (laughs) yeah that's the that's the point of reference that everyone knows uh and so you're kind of you're doing all these platforming challenges but there's also like this very um stylish presentation to everything where the story isn't necessarily like deep but it's presented really well yeah a lot of like uh non-verbal communication where it's just like here's a scene that happens you maybe get one thing of dialogue um, but a lot of it is just like here's like a like an effect or like some sort of like sequence that is that you kind of can get the gist of without anyone having to speak. And so it finds a really nice uh, through line between like, OK, I'm just kind of like doing regular gaming stuff. But then here's like a, a nice little like narrative flourish that isn't like, oh, this is a great story. But it's like it helps set the mood of that game so well. Yeah, it's just it's it's 
you know, not elevating it to the level it deserves, but at a certain time I was playing and I was like, this just feels like such a solid gamey ass game, but not, but also having that certain air of, yeah, just a, a specific mood that just hit me just right. We're playing it. I had that experience of, yeah, I know this is a shorter experience, but what if I just kept playing this forever? What if this, this was the video game that I just started over <laughs> and over and over again and never stopped playing Oliha because I love it so much. Uh, but yeah, it's available everywhere. It's like 15 bucks. Get it on eShop. Were you guys playing on Switch? I was playing on PC. I was okay. playing on Switch, yeah. Oh, geez, Jeff, and you're playing it too? Yeah, I'm not, a, I'm not, I haven't beaten it like everyone else. Um, but I, I played enough to say that, yeah, I think part of, part of it is you, Hanson, in terms okay. of the game that you're going to be playing forever. Mm-hmm. I don't know, this would be my forever game, but but I agree with Surreal and disagree with you in the, in the sense that the first thing that stuck in my mind too was out of this world as well mm-hmm. in terms of that animation and kind of the being atmospheric in a way that a lot of you know platformer games aren't. But then I appreciated that it is a much more competent platformer and like the harpoon mechanic and stuff like that. There's more going on to the gameplay than any of those older adventure games ever had. And so... Yeah, especially I've been, I've been enjoying it for that reason, and the combat too is good. Yeah, I, and the the animation. I mean, it's that pixelated look, but there are times too where it's just you do a combo or just attack, and I'm like, God, that looks so great in that style. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it does get a little more complex later on with some of the puzzles and stuff and interacting systems in some fun ways. But yeah, yeah, I, I hope that people don't just go to the eShop and judge it by you know the five screenshots or whatever that are in there because right. it, it looks very much like oh I've seen you know thousands of these totally. kind of very indie you know retro pixelated games but this one i think the smoothness of the animation and the kind of atmosphere that it manages to create and also you know some core fun gameplay kind of yeah. elevate it all beyond that it also does a thing that i'm a big fan of which is trying to contextualize a lot of game mechanics in the world so like you can get resources um pretty easily by ha- by talking to this guy giving him like 25 gold and having him leave and come back and then like the the shop is like there's this kind of mystical seller guy who is like here are all your hats and you know like it, it's all like in that base everything is built up as like okay here's the thing in order to upgrade your health you have to talk to what someone who i think is a witch uh, and like she, every time you like come up to her, she's like very surprised and she'll like scatter a bunch of stuff everywhere. Um, and so they do a lot of that stuff and like, yeah, there are some sequences later on, like there's a stealth sequence later on that like at that point I wasn't entirely sure who my enemies and my friends were, but it's present. it's like all of that is like contextualized. Like the reason you are doing a stealth sequence is there's a specific reason you're doing it. It's not just like, well, in this, in this part, we've chosen to make it so that you can't fight enemies, even though like you kind of know that you could take them all. Yeah. That's Oliha, everybody. O-L-I-J-A. If you're in the mood for a short, sweet, moody little game, definitely check it out. Um, Surreal, you've been playing Persona 5 Strikers? Yeah, I finished it earlier this week. I don't remember when, but uh, yeah, that that, that is... Have you you played 5? I thought you hadn't played 5. I've beaten beaten 5. I haven't played Royal. Oh, okay. Okay, sorry. So, so, and this, this... uh, I asked the question on Twitter and people are saying that it basically seems to ignore all of the Royal stuff. Uh, so it's if really you weird. haven't beaten, if you've beaten persona five, like I have, but haven't pl- played Royal, this is fine. This kind of ignores that additional party member, which is weird. It is kind of weird in that sense, but I've been really liking this game. So um, it's uh, it's I'm, persona five Muso. 
Dynasty yeah. Warriors Persona Five. But I I would I think the stronger sell is like this is more or less a sequel to Persona Five. Yeah. Uh, it is. It is like the thing that is most surprising to me is how how they've managed to integrate like the the Musou style combat uh, into Persona to the point where I think this is just the Persona game where the battles just happen to be Musou. Totally. Um, and there aren't like they, it's not like, okay, we're going to set up the thing where it's like, oh, oh, here's a case. But here's basically an excuse to set up another Musou style level. It is you are going through jails instead of palaces because there's a different uh, story set up. Um, but it's like, you'll have, you'll traverse through like, you know, Shibuya that's been turned into the metaverse or whatever. And then instead of like, um, whenever you ambush an enemy, instead of like, okay, turn-based combat, it's like a, a like a short Musa with a bunch of, where you're killing a bunch of Jack Frosts, which everyone I think has always wanted to do. It's very um, true. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I stream, cool. I streamed the first hour of it on our Twitch channel. Just like, ah, I guess I want to check it out. And I was so surprised. Like, oh, I'm actually running around the backstreets of Tokyo. I'm actually going to Shibuya. Like it was really surprising Okay, now I'm going to these dungeons. I mean, I think Omega Forces games over the last 10 years have certainly been... I don't know when we should stop being surprised, but I feel like we had it with, you know, Hyrule Warriors, with Age of Calamity, just that feeling of like, oh, this is actually like a real game. It's not just Dynasty Warriors 2 anymore. (laughs) But this is very much in that vein of really impressing me. And then I realized like, well, it's to the point where I respect Persona 5, but I never finished it. But it's like, if you're a big Persona 5 fan... Can you ignore this? Like, do you owe it to yourself to actually check out this Musou game? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much they, they, how much else they plan to do with the extended Persona Five universe. Like, I don't know what the next, like, I don't know what the next game is going to be. So, I think in some sense, this is probably just going to be spinoff territory where it's like, oh, if we move forward, probably we're probably going to ignore the storyline. But I, I actually ended up really liking the storyline. And uh, but to go back to like the structure of the game, yeah, one thing like. Omega Force has gotten really good at like not just kind of phoning in the fact that they're using licensed games and actually taking full advantage of it. Like there are just straight up parts of this game where you're just listening to dialogue uh, for like, you know, half hour, an hour where like towards the end of the game, there's a part where it asks you to save your progress twice and there are no combat. There's no combat. There's no gameplay. Uh, it's just like, here are here's an hour of story. Would you like to save your progress? But uh, I think the crazy thing there is like even in the first hour, I was surprised that so much of it is just like, hey, let's just get the crew back together and let's all just talk about what we've been up to, how we're all doing. It's like, oh, man, this is yeah. a very satisfying thing so that even though I haven't finished the game, it's like if if I was a fan, I would love this crap where it's just everybody shooting the shit sitting around together. I also think as someone who like has dabbled in like Musou games before, but isn't like a huge. This is my favorite uh, Musou combat in the in this series because what it does is it it, it gives con- it like gives you a reason to use different combo strings which I think in the past have felt mostly for flourish um, because the way the combat works here is is actually kind of different um, because you have all the all the elements from Persona Five where it's like okay here's fire light uh, fire ice uh, lightning you know psi and nuclear which is the two they added in five. Uh, and those weaknesses all still apply. Like Jack Frost is is weak to fire, and you can use spells and stuff. Like you can straight up like they all have AOEs now instead of being targeted. So it's like oh like you know uh, Agi is gonna use fire on a circle of enemies. But you're if you use those to be like okay here's how I'm gonna win the battle. I'm gonna use spells that counter enemies. You're gonna run out of SP really quickly. But instead, what you can do is you can end like your combo ender uh, if you do it right will summon that spell for free instead. So, like, once you get into the harder battles, um, you're kind of incentivized to, okay, I'm going to do square, square, triangle to, you know, use that, and that buffs up my party. And then I'm going to use square, 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 triangle, and then that's what, you know, summons the 
like uses a elemental spell that hits the enemy weakness. And so instead of like, oh, well, I guess I'm just mashing buttons and seeing what cool stuff I can do. You're actually thinking more creatively about, okay, what, what do I need to do and how do I, how can I do it? And it can get kind of intimidating because you're doing that with um, your base character, Joker, and he can have different personas and each of those personas is going to have a different set of spells, right? So it's like trying to relearn your character every time you get a new persona. Um, but I ended up really liking that system because it felt like I was actually thinking about it. And the combat is actually um, probably harder than a lot of other Musou games where and random enemies can actually, like, if you're not careful, they will, like, just wreck you. But once you master, like, okay, I need to dodge out of the way of this thing uh, and then use my this specific combo, I think it, it actually works really, really well. Oh, nice. Yeah, um, and just the presentation we should mention obviously looks great. I mean, the collaboration between Omega Force and the Persona Studio is unbelievable. And believe it or not, um, Kyle, are you sitting down? Mm-hmm. The music, the music is very good. <laughs> so just brace for that, please. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a lot of like rent, new renditions of like classic songs, but there are a couple of, of new songs. But yeah, I, I enjoyed the music all the way through and there there's a couple of like interesting nods to other uh, persona games in there as oh well. interesting um but yeah I, I also i think a lot of people mentioned that the story isn't as good as persona 5 which i all ultimately agree with but i think it hit me kind of personally because it's like a it's a road trip uh thing where you're traveling from different cities and it actually was is kind of mirrors uh a trip that i took to japan last year where i went to a bunch of different cities to the point where like telling you my full itinerary on that trip might actually spoil the game uh, <laughs> what uh and it, because it's weird, like the the i didn't visit all the exact same cities but it's like the the kind of where i started and where i ended i think are actually kind of the same which is weird um but it's like yeah just seeing these characters like you know there will be oh we have to stop this person from doing this bad thing but also it's like we rented a camper we're, we're in an rv and we're traveling to you know from you know like one city to another it's going to be like a seven hour drive and they're just talking about like are, like because they have two people who can drive and Makoto is one of them because they're like the older kids and they're like are you okay are you sure you're okay for this drive and she's like yeah we might need to stop at a rest and like that kind of like um bonding stuff I think is actually really well done like the overall plot line is okay it's kind sure. of a redux of the original Persona 5 where it's like oh these people are being controlled and what's going on um and that mystery ends up like resolving the way you kind of expect from a Persona game um, but yeah, it's like the, that road trip basket, I think is really strong because you get to stop in each city and each city has its own shops with their own items. And so you get a flair for each of these actual cities, which is really cool. Yeah. Surreal. Predict it. Call it right now, dude. Will Persona 5 Strikers be on your top 10 list at the end of the year? I was thinking about that actually just this morning. And I think there's a good chance it, it will be. Ooh. I think I, I could see it being in the bottom half, but right now it's probably like, it's probably up there for me right now, for sure. Nice. I was surprised that it was on Steam. Yeah, I actually didn't know that. <laughs> I thought it was like a PS4. Because when I when we asked for codes, I just assumed like, oh, uh, yeah, I, I, either Switch or PS4 is fine. Assuming that those like, whatever, I'll take whatever code. But it, it is totally on Steam, which, yeah, I, I don't know, Kyle, you've been playing the Switch version, I think. Uh, yeah. does, how does it hold up on that platform? It seems fine. Like, I'm not super far in, you know, hour, hour and a half or so, but like... I mean, I it seems to run the couple I did like my closest point of comparison right now is Age of Calamity. I think it runs a little better than Age of Calamity. 
Um, yeah, I, I heard um, fewer enemies in general. Yeah, I think the battlefields are also smaller. Like there's there's cities, obviously, so like uh, they're less crowded and they're less like, like expansive and more kind of like buildings everywhere. And the battles are usually smaller. So I yeah. I totally feel that. And yeah. I I the wonder if that's. Is- Oh, I was just going to say those moments where like, you know, what you're talking about where it's mostly story where you're like sitting around in a group and chatting. It's like, it just makes me bummed that like Persona 5 proper isn't on Switch because I was like, this looks exactly yeah. like Persona 5. Yeah. Like this game clearly could work it's on here. So you know? close. It's so close. I, so I do wonder if that's like, this was a, that Switch version was a way for them to test. Like, okay, we need it. We need to test to whether to make sure Persona 5 will actually run on this thing. And maybe we can build this Switch version. Like this is a good chance oh, to test man. our our tech weird. on a Switch. Like, but you know? but they could totally just have done that as like here's the initial work we're gonna do with Strikers, and then maybe we can use that work to actually then port Persona Five to Switch. It is it is like a Mass Effect Three Wii U situation where it is very much directly a sequel to a game that does not exist on the platform that you can play it on. Right. You know? Especially the, call it the Armored right. Edition, which is weird. I don't know why they did that. <laughs> yeah, but the fact that like you, Joker is in Smash and you can play the pseudo sequel to Persona 5 on the Switch. It's like there's all these ingredients are there except for this one glaring obvious hole. Well, there's got there's got to... I wonder if it's like just some... This is just totally guessing, but like maybe just some contractual thing with mainline Persona games or something. I don't know. You know, with Sony... I but don't know, but Persona there was fours on PC, so I don't know. That was the thing. It's like I'm trying to remember. Serial, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't there some messaging from Atlas once Persona Four released on PC where they're like, oh, it turns out people want the games over there." It's like yeah. not that they're oblivious to this happening, but maybe just it hadn't hit home the sales yeah. potential of releasing it on more platforms yeah. until it is, now. I I wonder if there's like this slow trend of of Japanese developers realizing that people want to play their games on PC, where it's like, oh, Square Enix is like, oh, okay, Neuron Tomata did really well on PC. Yeah, there was that messaging for sure. Yeah, I think it's definitely before that. Capcom's PC ports have just been like, oh, okay, these games sell really well on this platform. Uh, So hopefully, we'll see more Atlas games hit. Yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, Persona 5 Strikers is the name of that game, but speaking of Capcom ports that aren't available on PC and are Switch <laughs> only right now, um, Capcom Arcade Stadium uh, released recently where it's, hey, it's 32 Capcom games, old arcade games. Uh, Jeffum and I have been playing it. Uh, we, we like arcade games. I'm always a fan of going through some history, and it's weird trying to do the Capcom math. It's like, okay, they have that crazy Street Fighter bundle on Switch. They also have the Capcom beat-em-up bundle on Switch. But now this is some Capcom beat-em-ups and some Street Fighters and yeah. a bunch of other random stuff. But certainly not every great Capcom arcade game is on this thing. Yeah. And and it seems like whenever I'm looking through the eShop or other digital stores, I I run into a lot of like Capcom clearly just like Here's here's an old Capcom ROM for six dollars or yep. something that's just totally unreasonable, and it's like, like I I don't know who's paying more than a dollar or two for those games and feeling good about it, and and this this compilation kind of fits into that. If you buy like all three bundles, I think it's like thirty dollars. It's forty bucks for for three bundles bucks. of games where you can buy a just a distinct chunk of. Capcom arcade games for like 10 bucks a piece. It's a really weird structure. And then you can download Ghosts and Goblins for an additional $2. It's a weird release structure to try and get yeah. to these games. Yeah. Um, but I, I was, I didn't go into it expecting a lot because these kind of retro bundles usually 
don't do a lot in terms of making the games, you know, interesting or more playable. But yeah. but that was the one thing that actually surprised me about this is that they've added a few like quality of life things that, to be fair, I think a lot of ROM emulators kind of do the same thing. But this but this is the first time I've seen it where they they let you you know remap all the controls for every game which you know should be standard and they they include a turbo button but then they also let you change the speed of the rom each rom and you can set it up you can set up two extra controls where on the left stick i have it so that if i or the left trigger if i hold it in it will slow down the game to like basically slow motion that's awesome and 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 as soon as and it, as soon as you release it it just goes right back so it's not you don't have to toggle through a bunch of stuff it's just kind of an instant slow motion and on the right button by default for all games if you hold it in it will rewind the gameplay up to like 20 seconds and that's also you just you can just hold it in until you rewind through whatever screwed you over and then let go and you're right back into the game and I, th- I think those things are important because so many of these games just aren't fun Correct. the way that they were they were made. They were they were, you know, old arcade games were made to just suck quarters out of your pocket. And and they're so difficult that they were never fun. And and the one thing that I remember from my childhood was playing Commando, which is one of the games yeah. in there, like renting an NES because my brother and I weren't allowed to have an NES and renting that as one of the games that we had for like that special weekend and not being able to get past the first level because the game's just freaking ridiculous in terms of how hard it is. And like the, these extra controls actually let you play these games and have fun with them and see more of them than the first two levels that you could play under like a reasonable skill level. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of Jeff, it's so I I have distinct memories of looking at the back of boxes and seeing screenshots of later levels and just as a child being like, well, I'll never see that. So yeah, it was impossible, that, you know. <laughs> it was just fan art at that point. Yeah, exactly, right, right, yeah. Yeah, but I noticed like some of the older games I think are more fun like the 80s stuff like Vulgus and Section Z. Like there's some cool funky yeah. 80s Capcom stuff in there instead of the, just the 90s. There's a lot of kind of run of the mill brawlers thrown in that pack too. Yeah, they 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 get real weird with some of their selections. Some of them were Japanese only releases. And you have to like um, actually switch to the Japanese ROM as you're going through the menu to then pop it up. And it's cool when you switch to the Japanese ROM, it changes the names of all the other ones. Or it's like, I forget exactly what it was. There's and when I was, when I was in the Japanese mode, so I could play some game like what was it called? Tatakai no Banka, uh, just some other brawler. Then I just see like, what is this game called US Navy? That's so bizarre that Capcom released a game. And it was, oh, I'm in the Japanese ROM mode. And it just released in Japan as US Navy, the game. And it's just, you know, you're an airplane taking down things. Yeah, and but it was interesting. And I want to hear your thoughts because like the brawlers are okay. If you, you know, you're going to go back and play Final Fight and, you know, have nostalgia for that. I th- think that you know obviously the street fighter they have like three street fighter versions which seems like overkill but those are nice but the the thing that makes this pack work for me are the shoot-em-ups and and though like i have always enjoyed that genre to begin with it's a lot of them in here and yeah there are a lot of them and it's it it, i think most of them are still fun some of the 1940x ones like are a little basic but you can tell that since it spans, you know, like two decades or whatever of releases, 
they get more complicated and they get more interesting and they get more visually, you know, impressive. Yeah, some of those I hadn't played before, like Giga Wing, but it's like it is just ridiculously busy in a good way. Like they're throwing so many coins and power-ups at you the entire time. Or there's this other game that I also never played called Legendary Wings, which is a shoot 'em up and you're in the plane and then there's just sections where then it's like a side scroller and you're jumping back and forth between the two yeah. of those, which is really cool. Yeah. There was more experimentation there with the genre than I realized, I guess, because I only remember, you know, a handful of them from when I was a kid. But you and you can clearly see like the evolution from just vertical shoot 'em up to like bullet hell shooters. Yeah. As they get more complicated. And again, like having those controls where you can just kind of slip into slow motion when you need it and or, you know, like rewind it if you get screwed at the end of a level or something makes it so that e- even if you're kind of sapping the challenge out of it, like, I don't care. I don't have to go back and and beat these, you know, vertical shoot 'em ups legitimately in order to feel good about myself. Like, I just want to kind of experience them and see the variety in each game. And and it allows you to do that. Yeah. Do they, do they have that, like, a vertical monitor option where you, yeah. know, like you, you can turn it? That's pretty cool. Yes, yeah, like so you can that. play that yeah. on the Switch, which is really sweet. Yeah, and, and it's, it's interesting they... They added two options for that where you can, you know, turn it turn it vertically and then just play with the controllers up. But they also add screen orientation as its own separate option. And that basically turns the game sideways and you play it sideways, but it corrects the controls. So basically you're playing vertical shoot 'em ups as a horizontal shoot 'em up at that huh. at that point. <laughs> but it but it works reasonably well for those kind of games. Yeah. Wait, is that are you saying like you so if you're playing on a switch light? Is that kind of the idea? Like you're holding it kind of like, is that what you're saying? No, like it it will re like normally the games are oriented vertically. It it will just shift everything sideways, but, but then the controls still, the controls work for sideways. You know, you're like pressing up. doesn't make you turn left or whatever. Like it would, if it, if it is actually up, but you you can can play it on a switch light horizontally. yeah. Yeah. But you can also, you can also just, flip your whole screen sideways too if you want to if you want to play it that way yeah so. there's a lot of stuff that's missing in there like for fighting games yeah they got a lot of versions of street fighter 2 serial they have your precious cyber bots which you never stop talking about I do love cyber. yeah but like dark stalkers isn't in there uh the mvc yeah. stuff isn't in there even like street fighter versus x-men all that stuff isn't there which is a bummer like maybe they're saving it up for some sort of capcom fighter pack i'm sure yeah I wonder if it has to do with like the arcade boards they're emulating because Capcom's always had like these tiers of like CPS one boards and CPS two boards, CPS three. So I wonder if it's all like CPS one boards, which which would explain why it's maybe cap like some Street Fighter versions and not others because mm. they made the transition. Yeah. So I wonder if that's the limitation there. But yeah, I, I guess I didn't expect Darkstalkers to to make it, but I I totally just imagine them being like, hey, you know, five years from now, here's a bunch of of, of other fighters, yeah. uh, all in one package. Hey, Jeff, you know what game um, isn't as fun as its NES version? From my vantage point, a lot of this comes down to the music, but Bionic Commando in Arcade? Like, the art is yeah. so weird, and I was expecting more, because I like that original game, but 70% of that is the music. Yeah, I'm uh, a lot of those, there, there are just some god-awful platformers in there, too, that I had never heard of, that, that I played, you know, for like two minutes, and was like, oh, what? What is this, and why would you add this to a compilation? Strider I, in the I arcade think, is cool, I think. It's okay. Yeah, it, that one wasn't doing a lot for me either. The the ghouls and goblins one, ghosts and goblins. Yeah, uh, 
yeah, ghosts and goblins, like even even with those cheats, like I had a hell of a time just getting past the first the first level. That game is just stupid. It is stupid. Which brings me to my next topic: Ghosts and Goblins Resurrection, Capcom's new Ghosts and Goblins game that Kyle and I have checked out. Um, yeah. Kyle, what did you think about this, not remake, but technically new version that remixes a lot of elements and adds some stuff to Ghosts and Goblins? Um, yeah, I, I mean, so far generally positive. I like the oh, way wow. it looks. It kind of has that like puppet puppeteering kind of look. I don't know the best way to describe it, but like it's got a unique look, you know? Yeah. And, <laughs> and it's Is- one that like... It's one that, uh, you know, I've always dabbled with when it, when that ghost and goblins game, like when it came to game boy advance, I played it a little bit. It's like, it's one, it's one of those like games that I'm like, I think I'm really supposed to like this. Yes. <laughs> like I can't make any progress. And the thing that I like about this one is there's like, in terms of the difficulty tiers, I like, there's basically a mode that keeps the difficulty high, but like kind of eliminates lives. Right. So you can hit a checkpoint and you can just try that checkpoint as much as you want, which is like, I like that. Like, that's almost like the meat boy approach. You know what I mean? Where it's just kind of like, you can just try this section as much as you want. You know, you can perfect this one little section and that goes for bosses too. Like because of that mode, like I was the first time I got through like the first level and beat a ghost and goblins boss, you know, and it took me a long time, but it was satisfying. Like I was, I was proud of myself having done it, you know? Yeah. The, the extra difficulties definitely help. Um, and they have also like power ups and an umbral tree, which is like a little skill tree that you're working way up to get different magic attacks yeah, and stuff like that. Magic. You can turn into a, a boulder and like roll along. Yeah. It's some weird like stuff that. in there, yeah. but even like on the lower difficulties, it's still like being really faithful to the core ghosts and goblins. So like the jumping physics still hard, still aren't great. And then the enemy AI is still just, enemies charging you mindlessly it's just i i was not having the how greatest long, time with that how long did you spend uh pressing every button to try to find the sprint button how, how much time did you spend on that kyle lose three hours i spent a lot of time and still continuously are trying to find the sprint button even though it does not exist and it never will yeah he it, just moves so slow to the point where i'm like was he always this slow? Yeah. I mean, I've, I'm not an expert in this game by any means, but like, I don't remember him being this slow. It's but. pretty faithful. It's crazy. Like I went back at least to yeah. the arcade version then jumping between these games. It's like, oh, they replicated it. If you're a Ghost and Goblins fan, like congratulations, they made a new game for you. But like they have like branching levels and stuff like that. But I, I'm surprised you're enjoying it that much, Kyle. I think the reviews have been I shockingly too, high. Honestly, like it's not one that I was like, you, we had the opportunity to get a code and you're like, does anyone want to check it out? And I was very much like, I'm curious. And I was like, I might play the first level and go, but I think I might keep playing it just because I like that difficulty mode that lets you basically bang your head against a brick wall until you break through. Like, I kind of like those. experiences. like, as long as it's not throwing me too far back. Yeah. Like, it, it, you know, I'm I kind of like those challenges sometimes. So huh. yeah, uh, it's just on Switch right now. But I forget if they have a special deal. But I'm sure at some point it'll be making its way to other stuff. But Ghosts and Goblins Resurrection, everybody. Um, Kyle, bless your heart. Thanks for being here. Um, anything else you want to say real quick before you clap out of existence? Uh, oh yeah, I've been uh, I started playing some more uh, Ring Fit last night, I can and tell. they've added a rhythm game that has like uh, Breath of the Wild music to it. Really? Isn't that cool? Oh, yeah, because <laughs> totally it was like, in, wasn't it in the Breath of the Wild engine or something? Wasn't there some connection there? I've I've heard that, yeah. But it's it's not, like, it's funny. The the mode you just go into this, it's literally like a workout room, and there's a big Breath of the Wild poster on the back, and then you play a rhythm game where you have to, like, you know, 
squeeze and pull and squeeze and pull in time <laughs> with this medley of Breath of the Wild music. It's <laughs> Jump Up uh, Superstar from Mario Odyssey is in there too. It was like... This is an oh. awesome freebie. I, I'm into this. Yeah. I thought you could pick the the rooms and the songs separately. So you're like playing uh, uh, Jump Up Superstar while Hyrule's getting destroyed. And it's like, oh, yeah. That'd be, That'd be nice. That'd be all of us. Yeah, I just wanted to mention that. Very cool Ring Fit update that probably released a while ago that I totally missed. I think it, I remember seeing that headline a little while ago, but that's cool you're getting yeah. back to that. Is that thing still impossible to find? Um, I, I see it at Target. Oh, really? Uh, pretty often. Like, I don't know if that's for my little small, you know, suburb town here in Minnesota. I, I don't know if that's common. I mean, it's certainly selling like crazy. It's like in the top, you know, three on Nintendo's bestsellers NPD. So it's out there. People are finding it, I guess. But yeah. it's wild. Well, Kyle, uh, give yourself a round of applause uh, for getting back in shape with Ring Fit Adventure. Leo Vader, Leo Vader, he's here. Leo Thank Vader. you. Welcome, Leo. How's it going, man? Really great. Leo? Now that I'm on the MinMax show. Yeah, no kidding, dude. Thanks for being here. Uh, breaking news on the MinMax show. People in the Backstage Pass watching this live let us know. Um, Bioware, we learned from Jason Schreier a while ago, was making the tough call along with EA about what to do with Anthem. And um, the Emperor came out and uh, gave it a thumbs down. Uh, <laughs> it looks like Anthem next, the Anthem reboot, is not happening. Bioware posted an official blog post saying, in the spirit of transparency and dis- and closure, not disclosure, but closure, we wanted to share that we've made the difficult decision to stop our new development work on Anthem, aka Anthem Next. We will, however, continue to keep Anthem live service running as it exists today. Since Anthem's launch, the team has been working hard to continually improve the game, releasing multiple updates that brought with them a variety of improvements and introduced new content to play. Towards the end of 2019, we expanded on that effort and started working on a more fundamental restructure of the game. Then they go on to say, yeah, COVID was rough. A couple of other things were rough. Game development's tricky. We're moving ahead on other projects. We thank you for sticking with the game, Anthem community. Um, Leo, what's your gut reaction to that? Is it weird to open that with, in the interest of transparency, it's kind of a basic thing to announce that you're canceling a game. Do they keep that secret usually? Right, well... I mean, they're not canceling the game. They're just stopping with their overhaul, you know, but I do think yeah. it's such a weird message it, for all, everybody in the community. It is a live service game, though. So, right. You know, that presumably was going to, that was part of the pitch on that game was it was going to continue going on. It's assumed with all live service games, for sure. Yeah, it's in the name. They need to be live, but it's technically still there to play um, it's just like a good reminder that take everything with a grain of salt in the entire video game industry. Everything announced, everything's always a work in progress. Anything can fall out at any moment. I mean, that's such a weird thing. And I hope that there's not too many gigantic Anthem fans out there that have been having their fingers crossed waiting for this thing to salvage the game. They can finally get all their friends back into it because, I mean, they had that roadmap for people for reasons that should be excited. And all this rumbling about Anthem next, like I can see myself... Even myself getting a little bit excited about that game again, because I liked a lot of aspects about it. Um, but yeah, you played the base game too, right, Surreal? Yeah, I, be, I beat it and did some of the end game stuff. But it was, it was. I remember walking away from that game being like, man, that was really boring. Like a, there's a couple of quests there I think are really bad. Yeah. But I think it had what it needed to, which is like a really solid base. Like, uh, you know, obviously, you know, even Destiny wasn't Destiny when it came out, but everyone kind of agreed it, that like, oh man, 
it sucks that I don't have anything to do because I would really like to do something with this. Right. And I think Anthem had that where, you know, it felt really good to fly. I think a lot of the, the spell interactions and how that stuff worked, worked was actually kind of interesting. They just didn't put together a game that made the best use of that. And it's kind of, you know, a bummer now that the, they don't really have the chance to do that. I wonder if in hindsight, it would have been better for the game if they just did weekly, monthly updates or whatever, instead of waiting for the the big overhaul that would never come. Well, they've been trickling out updates. Remember, I mean, a lot of those issues that people had at launch, they eventually patched out like some of those ridiculous, you know, gates that they had set up, which was so frustrating to play with and stuff. But yeah, who the hell knows? I would love to know what happened in there, the discussions they had to have. I mean, whether or not this is connected to folks leaving Bioware, you know, Casey Hudson and Mark Dara, a couple of old timers, if they just saw that like, eh, it's not looking good. EA does not seem that supportive. But I mean, if you're a Bioware, how much would you want to stick with this thing? Best case scenario, you get a couple of headlines that are like, hey, it, it's solid now. You know, it's just it's such a slog. And I don't know how much of a payoff there is. Yeah. yeah, especially versus Dragon Age 4 having a lot of people optimistic about it versus Anthem. It's a way more work to win people over on that yeah. IP. Yeah, I also think that Anthem was maybe... I think maybe the reception to the Mass Effect remaster just kind of maybe cemented it of like, oh, people actually just like absolutely love the heck out of this franchise. Yeah, you can just go ahead and make another one, even though Andromeda was like not super great. I wonder if that's just like, yeah, this like sci-fi franchise, we already have one of those. You don't need it. People turns out people still love Mass Effect so much that they that you may as well just work on that instead. Right. And honestly, maybe even some of the new stuff for anthem whatever they're working on could apply to mass effect like they could take that and say maybe this will be part of the multiplayer for mass effect 5 yeah it's an interesting idea i mean it's still an interesting world with anthem <laughs> the base concept and we're being frustrated by because they're like oh no the entire idea is that it's a galaxy that isn't done like it was abandoned before the galaxy was finished. That's the basic concept of the world. And I remember going on the cover story trip and talking to them so many times and they're good dorky guys, you know, it's, it's Bioware. I remember asking them so many times, like, how would you know if you were in a galaxy that was not finished? Like, how do we know that our galaxy isn't finished? It was like, well, there's storms everywhere. It's clearly unfinished. It's like, yeah, but that would be their default. Anyways, the point is it has like some interesting ideas to the lore. And I wonder... My best case scenario is like maybe they would just make a small little RPG, even just like on the scale of their weird Dragon Age Facebook game, just like some sort of isometric little RPG that would maybe continue that storyline in some way. It'd be fun to have some tip of the cap to fans. I could see there being like two novelizations of like <laughs> that end up coming with Mass Effect for, for whatever reason. And one of the deluxe editions is just one of those bonuses that you get for $200. I would say them not finishing the game is probably just a perfect thematic piece of closure mm, for not the that. unfinished galaxy. Oh, so now we truly do live in that galaxy where nothing's finished and we have to live with yeah. it. Right. Because when you ask them that question of uh, how do you know, they kind of gave you a wink and said, you'll see. That's true. They did say that. <laughs> and but... also there are storms in our reality. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, it's all coming together. Uh, Anthem, we heard the new ye. Yeah, there's there's still some interesting bits in there. I, I'm I won't do it, but a part of me wants to go back and play that and just like focus on the story that was there. Because I remember like some of those characters and stuff being like, there's some fun personalities in here. The guy with the cane and the big ship, the town design's kind of cool. I don't know. It'd be yeah, a fun yeah, new I show mean, plus. That, yeah. Oh, interesting. That, that has kind of, 
I, I guess that's always kind of been the problem with Anthem, though, is that it was just so out of their wheelhouse in terms of gameplay and trying to fit it into this live service thing. Like, I, I can totally understand them just wanting to abandon this for other projects because what they're really good at is the kind of interesting RPG concepts and characters and getting to spend time with those things and trying to figure out how to make that work within this other framework yeah. that probably wasn't as lucrative as they were, you know, at, at, that EA was hoping for. Mm-hmm. I can I can see them finally just walking away. It it, it doesn't strike me as the kind of pride, uh, passion project that, like, No Man's Sky was, like, getting that right for Hello Games, you know, like... Like that, that was something that, that they clearly saw as like, we need to make this right. We need to make this work because this, this project's so important to us. I can see Anthem, you know, like just at its core falling out of the wheelhouse and the thing that, that, that is so interesting to Bioware and that the entire company is kind of built on. Yeah. Plus I wonder if there's a company as big as EA looming over you know, hello games and actually making that call for them. If a giant corporation would say, you know oh. what? We should double down on that game that the internet freaking hates right now. Like no man's yeah. sky. Yeah. I, yeah. I do wonder Spend four more years fixing <laughs> this for free just so that people will, will be happy with it. Yeah. Yeah. I also wonder if this is like, we're at the end of the road for like, you know, when several years ago people were like, Oh, I guess, you know, live games are really popular and like a bunch of CEOs turning to their companies and saying, make us one of those. Yep. Right. I wonder if all those bets have come to roost or whatever, and people are like, oh, I guess it didn't work out. So, like, like mo- I, I guess it is really difficult to make this type of game moving on. Be- like, even, like, Avengers, right? Which, I guess yep. it seems like jury's still out on that one. They're still, they just released that Hawkeye DLC. Um, but who knows how popular that game is. But It sold it surprisingly like, well. Like, those projects that started back then, I feel like, are now, everyone is realizing, like, oh, maybe not every type of game can fit this model. So, and now like they're all kind of moving on at this point. I would love to know. Yeah. I mean, I remember hearing rumblings a while ago, but like, Oh, this franchise might go for a live game. This might go for a live game. And now if those types of releases, yeah, have have shifted where people are looking, but they're all doing battle Royales now. That's, (laughs) but even that's such old news. (laughs) Or they just decided to pivot to Fortnite, just putting their characters in Fortnite. You guys are being naive. That'll make us more money in the long run anyway. And faster dev cycle, for sure. (laughs) Pivot to Valheim, baby. That's the future. We need just some basic ass crafting game and survival gameplay. That's the future. Um, Anthem next. Uh, Leo, I think you're totally right. Uh, New show plus let Patreon supporters vote for what we play every single week and what new show we create. I mean, getting four people into Anthem, I think, could be a really interesting journey. <laughs> Mark it <laughs> and down. SEO gold. Absolutely. Um, hey, uh, BlizzCon kind of sort of happened uh, last week on Friday. BlizzCon Line, they called it. Uh, finally giving updates to all the things people were hoping for, even in a confusing way. But uh, base headlines, you guys stop me where you want to stop me. Uh, Blizzard Arcade Collection, more arcade collections, great. Uh, but it's cool to see them... Uh, reunite with Blackthorn, Lost Vikings, Rock and Roll Racing, which I believe has all the music in it, which that was the big hang-up is trying to get the license there. But you can also rewind, just like in your beloved Capcom arcade collection there, Jeff. Um, and everybody knows that Lost Vikings rule. Um, then they announced the most confusing thing about World of Warcraft Classic. They're releasing Burning Crusade Classic, which I guess they inevitably had to do, but I just can't wrap my mind around that idea about like, this is the basic World of Warcraft you want. 
And now it's going to be moving into the future just on that weird timeline now. I really feel like they had no choice. All my World of Warcraft friends have never been as into that game as they were during Classic, (laughs) during the whole lifetime of Classic. Oh, really? They were speaking so highly of it. Oh, weird. Um, But yeah, apparently you will now get to choose if you're playing World World of Warcraft Classic if you want to bring your character forward like and move along with the history of the expansions or to stay just in classic vanilla wow but uh, there's even more stuff uh they also announced classic hearthstone just getting all the classics out of the way and then probably the oh, interesting what? yeah what, what is classic Hearthstone? i don't know if it's just like a mode within hearthstone <laughs> where it's all just the original cards but they show like the old leroy jenkins card and stuff like that from like five years ago yes it's classic baby <laughs> go back and enjoy okay. it i mean as somebody who you know stopped playing hearthstone for a bit and was immediately just outpaced and didn't know where to come back in that's a enticing proposition that's when i was most into it was right around launch for sure that makes sense and then uh the biggest announcement was something that we i guess we talked about on the minmax council the patreon exclusive podcast but uh the rumors came true they are remaking diablo 2 and don't be confused this is diablo 2 resurrected whereas the game we talked about earlier was ghosts and goblins resurrection so please Mm -hmm. please keep that in line um but diablo 2 Resurrected coming out on PC and consoles, including Switch, and there's cross-progression, and it's releasing this year, uh, which is super cool. So the ability to jump back and forth between your PC save and your Switch save. Um, And so it's like they took the models, made 3D versions of it, but other than that, they're going to try and keep it as faithful as they can, and you can also switch back and forth to the original version. So I'll check that out. That seems all right. Um, Jeff, they showed a little bit more Diablo 4, you're a big Diablo fan. You didn't catch your eye there. Yeah, it it's looking great. They they showed off the rogue class, which seems much more um, kind of action or you know like reaction oriented. I guess like like a lot of dodging around and you know like doing really fast strikes. It it seemed like it's getting even farther away from the just kind of point and click criticism that Diablo has always kind of had when it was when it was purely a PC game, you know, yeah. it kind of added the, you know, dual analog controls to it, which is when I got on board and really liked it. And it, it seems like this character is built even more for that. I feel like Diablo 4 is one of those games that I'm sure I'll enjoy playing it when it comes out, but I don't know how much more I need to know. Like, I'll just... They could release it and I'll, I'll enjoy it when it releases. But like the trickle of news about new classes and stuff, like I, I assume it'll be good by the time yeah. you guys get it out the door. Right. Yeah, for sure. And they, they talked a little bit more about open world and traversal and, and PVP and all that kind of stuff. And really, honestly, the entire time I was watching it, I was like, man, I should, I should go play some more Diablo 3 right now. Right. Like that, that one's still on my console. That is one game I have never deleted from think either of my consoles at this point and it it's just still infinitely fun for me and so a an upgraded version of that i i don't need much selling on it to get back into that i will say that i was a little surprised by the art style i guess you know they they had shown it off before but it i like watching the um, i watched everything at like after the show but like i watched that resurrected trailer and then i watched the four trailers like oh that's where this comes from where everyone kind of you know gave diablo 3 flack for like looking too cartoonish so they said oh we're gonna make it more realistic but i don't like this game doesn't feel like it is making good on that promise in some ways because it it looks like okay here's a darker more kind of grittier version of that but i guess the 
the fidelity I don't think is there for me where it's like, okay, like if you're making a more realistic art style, I would expect, you know, like the, the flora to really pop or like to just have stuff that looks really gobsmacking. And I don't know that this is that. I don't it, know if we're more realistic like, or just kind of like a darker more grounded yeah, more, tone more gothic setting yeah, yeah. So like it, it is a little bit of a bummer like seeing those two games back to back and like oh these look pretty similar um so like i i i didn't hate the the r sound three i liked it so oh, yeah this feels like a maybe to me a step back but like for the people who were like oh this is everything like diablo 3 should have been um it, it does feel like it is a game for those people but you know like the r style isn't doing much for me we um I don't want to alarm anybody, but we're in the presence of greatness. We're actually on a podcast right now with someone who has played Diablo 4. Oh, my goodness. Wow. And it's Leo Vitter, right? Didn't you play Diablo 4? I did. I played a few hours of it. And this Yeah, I went and visited Blizzard for the the Blizzard cover story where we did all the stuff they're going to talk about at BlizzCon 2019. Yeah. So uh, Overwatch 2, Diablo 4. And Hearthstone and WoW and that crap. <laughs> any uh, any high level thing from Diablo Four from your time actually playing it that really stood out or would surprise you? I forgot I played it until this conversation started, <laughs> so I <laughs> can't really pull Perfect. any fun facts about it. Besides that, we captured it with OBS, so you know, <gasps> not so different <laughs> celebrities you and I. <laughs> <laughs> um, they also it was weird in their big introductory videos, like you know the hour or so stream of the burning down of the highlights they didn't show overwatch 2 they said like ah oh, go to the overwatch channel we'll have a making of thing and that was actually surprisingly good uh, they had an hour long kind of behind the scenes thing showing off what's going on with overwatch 2 um some new teases new maps like they showed off uh rome and new york city and i understand it's easy to be frustrated with overwatch and the state of overwatch and the slow trickle of news and everything about overwatch 2 but like seeing that team's take on maps just reminds you about how much amazing talent especially in that art team there is it just looked awesome um but leo did you keep up with overwatch 2 stuff at all i also played it and i enjoyed what i played and i read the new stuff that they announced and i i'm definitely most excited for the pve aspects because after i dropped off of pvp and overwatch i still came back for the pve events for a while and they were cool but they were just a little flat there was something about fighting that mass of enemies that became very repetitive just from you know wasn't that different fighting each of them i guess and that's something that they've addressed here both in enemies that react more and have you blow off their legs and whatnot which was already kind of in when I played it. Like, they're already more interesting enemies to fight, and it sounds like they are taking their time to make sure they're as interesting as possible. And the full skill trees, like actual PvE progression, is probably the most interesting thing in that pack package for me right now. Yeah, God. So watching the Overwatch 2 presentation, the entire time I was like, I just need a refresher. It's been a long time since, uh, you know, BlizzCon 2019. Um, I was forgetting how this thing was actually structured. So it's, they have the classic, well, okay, so they have a campaign in overwatch two where it's like set characters and it's co-op where it's like, okay, you can play as these two characters going through this little mission, go through it. Uh, Jeff Kaplan explained some of this stuff in an IGN interview afterwards. And so for the main campaign, it's like, that's going to be story focused. It'll technically be replayable, but how many times are you going to replay the campaign? But then the bulk of the replayability on that in that arena is for the PVE stuff, which are called hero missions where they're kind of redesigning maps. And then that's what you play then Leo, right? Where you're just going up against null sector robots or Talon troops and stuff like that. 
Yeah, I played a little bit of the campaign too. Um, and it it's yeah, it's fun. There's some variability in who you can pick for the campaign. You there's like you know five you can pick for a three person oh, mission or something. Okay, and then you'll get different dialogue depending on who's there. Gotcha. But they talked about having hundreds of missions, and then you kind of read the fine print on there. Hundreds of hero missions, you know, the replayable stuff, and yeah. it's things like different times of day and different weather effects. Which are not nothing, but I'm sure, yeah, that's they're counting that as part of the hundred. So it'll be little variations like that. Yeah, yeah there's definitely moments of that kind of behind the scenes presentation where my eyebrows raised, where they spend a lot of time talking about the sound design. Like in Overwatch 2, the way you shoot your gun, the place you shoot it, it'll sound like, you know, the bounce back and reverb from that type of room. Where it's like, this feels like a making of from like 2011, not from <laughs> Blizzard. It's just surprising. For some reason, when Game Informer was here, they didn't want to make a video about it. <laughs> yeah but then even yeah that idea of now the maps have weather so like you can see the world map and you can choose which map you want to choose within that and then it's like oh maybe it'll be nighttime in this map or maybe there's a sandstorm happening in africa and it's like i don't i mean sure but their pitch of it'll make the worlds feel so much more realistic and i don't know that's what i'm looking for necessarily from an overwatch map but you know i'm happy to be proven wrong it doesn't tell me a lot about like what the scope of this mode is uh, by which like, is it a thing where they expect people to say, oh, I'm, I play Overwatch 2, but I'm usually just mostly play PV in the way that like, oh, Destiny people can just be like, you know, people who do strikes and raids or they can also be people who play Crucible all the time. Right. Like are do they plan for those the, the PVE and the PVP stuff to be as equivalent to like how repeatable is that PVE stuff versus like I finished the campaign, I did all the hero missions and I'm done versus something where it does feel like you could grind it for, you know, as long as you want. That's certainly their pitch is that they want the PVE to be as uh, thriving of a mode as PVP. And a lot of that comes down to the talent trees and choosing your build and having kind of like RPG progression unlock system for the different skills here. And if we know Blizzard, probably seasonal stuff, right? Right. Have they confirmed or deconfirmed that? I mean, I think that's implied. But the weird thing then is... Yeah, so you can create these absurd builds where it's like, okay, you can have Mercy, resurrect everybody on the team again, basically completely unbalanced builds for PvE. And then in the IGN interview, uh, Kaplan brought up the idea of like, yep, we know people want that unbalanced nonsense in PvP. And he's like, we're looking for a way to make that happen. Like, it's it's going to be so broken, but it would be fun to let people at least try to experiment with their PvE builds and how just completely bananas it can be in PvP. And I... That's such a tough thing because that would be fun to mess around in. But how do you like present that mode with just giant bold text saying this is not balanced in any way. This will be a nightmare. If any game has the the means of presenting that, though, it's Overwatch. They always have, you know, weird ass modes in one little pocket on the corner. Yeah, yeah like the, the arcade stuff, right? They could say like, hey, yeah, this right. week, rotating in, bring your PVE builds into PVP. Right, you right. Call it hecking around or whatever. Ooh, I like it. Oh, oh, surreal. Um, but there's also the confusing thing about Overwatch 2. It's a new game. Got to pay for it. But the PvP is going to be connected to Overwatch 1's PvP. And a lot of these tech upgrades are going to be brought into Overwatch 1. It's such a weird structure. Is That's that's the basic beat, right? From what you understand, Leo? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Which I don't know. It feels like when they announced it, it, the consensus was good. But now it's been so long. I don't know. I don't care. Yeah. 
So there's an interesting bit in that IG interview with Jeff Kaplan uh, where he said, it's so odd to me because if we were to rewind to BlizzCon 2019 and I were to just say, hey, we're making Overwatch 2, it's a sequel. It's going to have all this amazing PvE content, story missions, hero missions, all new PvP maps. We're going to add new heroes. We're going to change how a bunch of PvP works. See you later. Overwatch 1 people, hope you buy Overwatch 2. The weirdest part is everybody would just go, oh, they're making a sequel. But the second you go let's try to be a little bit cooler about what we do with the community. We actually get destroyed by that very community. It's something I hope in some ways influences people to think about how they want to be treated as a community. Which, I understand what he's saying, but it's also just from the outside, it is a confusing beat. And even watching that Overwatch 2 thing, I did have that moment of like, so do I need to buy this? Or the heroes, everything will be coming into Overwatch 1? Just if I want that PvE content and campaign that's why I need to fork over the money to get Overwatch 2. Right. Okay. It's, a, it's an interesting strategy, but Leo, you're totally right. I mean, they say that it's not releasing in 2021. How long can they keep this going and still keep it connected to those older versions, especially like the Switch version of Overwatch? I mean, is that just ruled out? I don't know how that factors into this, but I mean, that old game's getting older every day. That's true. It's a yeah, weird one. Yeah, it's... It's tough hearing uh, developers talk about how rough their community treats them because it's true of every game that's big like this. Whether it's whether the community likes it or not, the loudest most people will be angry about it at all times. And nobody should make video games. <laughs> I mean, it's the it's smallest. Really the only answer is the smallest thing. But even just. You know, uh, Hitman recently, there were the MinMax featured contracts. Thanks to Leo and the community for designing those. Um, and even being tagged in official IO or Hitman tweets, it's like, hey, check out the new contracts from MinMax Show. Just getting tagged into that and getting sucked into the whirlpool about just everybody on Twitter screaming at a developer it is just a nightmare. Like anytime throughout my history, I've been tagged in anything that a developer has tried to tweet out, seeing just a fraction, just a glimpse of what they have to put up with every day of just the amount of people screaming at them, fix this, it's on fire, you freaking idiot. It is mind-numbing how they can even tolerate Twitter. It's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. Game development's a nightmare, but check it out if it's for you. Um, hey, Jeff Marchiafava. That's do me. You, um, do you know how this whole thing operates? Um, super consistent internet. That's right, everybody. Otherwise known as Patreon. Patreon.com slash MinMax with two N's. We appreciate everybody that supports us at any tier. If you support us at any tier, you get access to the Discord. You can submit questions and comments for the MinMax show and for the Deepest Dive. You can unlock the Patreon-exclusive podcast feed, which has the Patreon-exclusive podcast MinMax Council. Uh, podcast versions of the Deepest Dive, including the upcoming one for Arkham Asylum. Um, everything good under the sun. So thanks to everybody that supports us at that tier. Also, support us at any tier. You can compete in Trivia Tower. We'll new episode of our new trivia show um, in the middle of March, so please look forward to that. And thank you to Will Cornelius. He wants everybody to know that if you own an Android or Tizen OS smartwatch and are looking for a unique watch face with a retro sci-fi futuristic design, check out and download the Facer app to your smartphone and look into the creator Cyberpunk. The creator Cyberpunk from the Facer app. They have a, over 100 original watch faces, including neon and metallic backgrounds, unconventional time and date settings, dynamic battery life and stat tracking, new series of faces based on Dune's great houses. I know the MinMax community has been reading Dune recently, so there you go. Uh, and free and premium faces are available for $4.99 a month. So thanks so much to Will Cornelius for supporting MinMax in the big way. Um, also, Leo, 
It's the MinMax show and it's February. So it's time for one thing, baby. We're talking spinch. Uh, I am 8-Bit. Wants everybody to know that you can get Spinch right now on Switch, the physical edition from I am 8-Bit. It is the exclusive edition with illustrated uh, zine by Jesse Jacobs, reversible cover sheet, art by Spinch creator Jesse Jacobs. Spinch is developed by Queen Bee. It's kind of a psychedelic platformer. It's wild looking and you can get the physical edition only from I am 8-Bit. Also, you can get the soundtrack, the psychedelic tricolor vinyl with die cut mouth portal jacket. It includes one of three limited edition art prints with the vinyl soundtrack to Spinch. Spinch, Leo. Spinch. The Grinch's rival. That's it. Uh, and you can go to iMateBit store. They support us in a huge way, so you can always support them. And you can go to their store and use the promo code VALENTINES. All one word, obviously. VALENTINES uh, for 10% off everything under $100 in iMateBit store. And they are so generous there at iMateBit that every single week they give a wonderful prize to the MinMax community. Um, who we deem as submitting to us the finest question of the week. And this week, they are shipping out the Uncharted Lost Legacy double album vinyl, which is uh, beautiful. And so we will be shipping that out to whoever has the best question submitted on Patreon. You ready? Ready. Yeah. Um, Leo, are you really ready for this? Yes. Because there's a lot of wonderful people out there and they spend a decent amount of time submitting a question saying, I hope this gets read on the show. I hope they like this. I hope the question is so good that I made bit ships out something good. So I just want to make sure we're appreciating everything that's going on on the other side of the screen. Of course, we appreciate you listening. Perfect. Ben Shively submits a question and says, I recently saw this question. I've been thinking a lot about it. Do you think achievements and trophies are good for video games? While, yes, they add more challenges to accomplish in their respective games, but for achievement hunters like myself, they turn games into checklists. Rather than play games for pure enjoyment, I will regularly make sure I am proceeding down an optimal path through a game to unlock as many achievements as possible, sometimes even making me lose interest in a game because it doesn't have achievements or they're too monotonous. What do you think? I This is definitely a case-by-case thing for me, where I think there are certain games where I think they work really well. Something like, um, for example, Cuphead, I think, is really cool to have, like, hey, do you, like, basically, those kinds of games with, like, the checklist is kind of cool in that you can, okay, you beat the game, but can you beat the game, you know, getting S ranks or, like, killing this boss without getting touched? Like, things like that, where the challenges feel like they're an ingrained part of the game, I think is really cool. But if you think about something like, you know, Uncharted, where it's like, oh, you could go back through the game again, but this time you're pulling up a guide to make sure you don't miss any of the, like, artifacts through and throughout the levels. Like, that to me feels like one of those things that achievements have brought of Just, like, we, we need to make sure that there are, you know, gamey goals in every game. I think that's where those kinds of games, I think, definitely suffer for it. Yeah, I, I still think of, like, uh, the Orange Box collection, you know, like they have an achievement for for like carrying the gnome throughout, you know, an entire right. level or whatever. When when you can come up with interesting things that make you play the game differently or or you know, like create and and it's its own like subset of challenges within a game that gives me more value out of playing that game, then I'm all for it. The whole like collector thing is kind of a you problem, you know, and and like that's something that I think we all have to get over and like let go of at some point because I can totally understand what he's saying. It does like when you get stuck in that kind of mindset or a completionist mindset too, it it can it can totally sap the fun out of something and you just kind of 
have to be willing to let that go. Yeah, my advice is get a gaming PC because I promise you, you will never care about Steam achievements. <laughs> I can guarantee <laughs> yeah. you. There, yeah, there are definitely times where you know, even playing something on Switch, I feel pretty good about like, okay, I can engage with it. I don't feel any pressure to engage with, you know, this system that I don't want to interact with because there are achievements there because on the Switch, they don't really do anything. Like there aren't any achievements. So sometimes there are certain games where I do want to just not worry about that stuff. Uh, Rich McLaughlin submits a question. He asks, what's the most inexplicable thing you've experienced in a game? And then he tells this tale that's bone... Chilling? Is that a phrase? Blood, yeah. blood curdling? He says, One time as a kid, I was playing Sonic during a thunderstorm. Lightning struck near the house. The power flickered, and I ended up in a debug menu. My feeble kid brain was convinced it was some sort of Back to the Future magic, and I spent hours jumping in the same spot trying to recreate it. That seems <laughs> absurd. Is that possible? Like a power know. surge? Or something like the power going out in just the right way could bring you to a debug menu in Sonic? I hope that I that caused him to every time there was a thunderstorm to bring out that game and say, watch, <laughs> watch. I'm, bring, I'm having a thunderstorm party at my house. Everybody, Sonic's going to, we're going to go back to the debug menu. The weird thing is Rich McLaughlin went on to be a game developer. He made Apple Switch on Xbox mm-hmm. here. Um, and I wonder how influential that was, like seeing the debug menu for Sonic as a kid. It was like, oh, the games are made. I see. Did he, did he put a uh, Easter egg in that game where it says, if thunder strike nearby, then. <laughs> yeah, you have to get struck by lightning in order to get to it. Right. Yeah. I think so. Which is bold. Mm-hmm. And it's an achievement, too, which kind of screws up your yeah. whole achievement. Score. Yeah. This boss can only be defeated if, it's, if you are struck by lightning and transfer the, the lightning to the enemy. Does anybody have something inexplicable from a game that they've experienced? It's usually just buggy. Just last night in Ghost of Tsushima, I threw down a smoke bomb and seven people got caught in it and they were coughing for a second and then they disappeared. <laughs> and Which is kind of the opposite of how a smoke bomb would work. <laughs> you know, you think I would disappear. And nobody will ever believe that it happened, Leo. You're the only there one was also that. in Rec Room, there was this guy I kept running into who was pretending to be an AI. And there are other videos of people running into him on YouTube, but it was just this guy who never broke character. I forget what his name was, but it was something, his username was something believable as an in-game character. But, and there was a brief moment where you're like, is this some guy who's here to, is this this an AI that helps tutorialize Rec Room? Because he was so in character and so answering people's questions about the game. But I think he's just a weirdo. (laughs) Was he trying to sound like Siri or whatever? Yeah, he was doing a computer voice. <laughs> That's so absurd. Uh, Josh writes in and says, Hey, everybody, what's the best collectible in a video game? My personal favorite is the sea shanties from Assassin's Creed Black Flag, but what are some of yours? Because uh, that tapes, Metal Gear Solid Five. Ooh, that's good. Something nice and tangible. This will change the mood of the game, literally. Right. That yeah. is good. I, I was going to say... In that kind of like Xbox era of game when people didn't realize they could sell old ROMs back to us, like the Ninja Gaiden, where you could unlock the old Ninja Gaiden games. And there, there was a yeah. there was a Nintendo game like that too, right? Well, Animal Crossing, uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think Smash Brothers had, these, had this weird thing where you could play demos of a bunch of classic, I think it was Brawl, where you could play a bunch of, like, demos of That's virtual right. console games. God, I forgot about that. What a weird era, yeah. I guess it's smart. Yeah, unlocking other games went 
by playing a game is pretty sweet. Hard to beat. Yeah, that's definitely the way to go. I mean, <laughs> I don't know if I prefer that or just the Yakuza thing of just like, we'll just put uh, Virtual Fighter in the main menu. It's just like at the boot up menu for Yakuza. It's like, you can play Virtual Fighter 5 if you want, whatever. Uh, Tom Blackburn says, Hi, Surreal. <gasps> can you speak? <laughs> How did he know you were here? Yeah. Uh, he knows my name. <laughs> can Ooh, you speak yeah. on the value of single player in fighting games? Also, Victor Pham wrote in wanting to hear your thoughts on Guilty Gear Strive Serial, but the value of single player in fighting games. What do you think? Uh, in dollars. In dollars. $75. Uh, I think it's increasingly proving to be pretty valuable. Um, if you look at Mortal Kombat, obviously, that it, that is like a game that people will go to just to experience the story. Yeah. Just to like, there's a like a whole community that spread out spread up over like the AI stuff, like the, like the towers and stuff. People just go there and do that. You know, they, they grind that stuff out never really learn like the actual like intricacies of mortal Kombat, but they like, they, they learn how to fight against the computers better. Totally. Uh, by, by using like, you know, in mortal Kombat 11, you had all these assists that you can use. And there are people talking about like, well, this impossible challenge here's here, you know, here are the three kind of uh, assists that I brought in with me to actually make it really easy. Um, and so like that has, has brought, sprung up its own community, which has helped that game sell like gangbusters. It is like one of the consistent, most selling, uh, video game franchises at this point. Like, and you don't even have to put fighting games in front of that. Um, so I think there are interesting ways to do it. Um, speaking of that, I think there is a kind of a, a subtler value in helping people understand the game, uh, which, you know, transitions into guilty gear, which I think one of the, my favorite things about that game is how, um, it gives you a lot of at-a-glance information about all your moves. So when you go into the command list, you know, I was playing Potemkin in the in the beta, and he, ha- he has, like, this move that is, like, this jumping knuckle thing. And it's like, oh, it, it helps you advance. Like, use this kind of in the mid-zone. Like, it, it, and it played GIFs of, like, here's this move in action, and here's kind of the range where you want to do that. That stuff isn't, like, a single-player campaign, but it helped a lot, um, and in Soul Calibur Six as well. Uh, they had like, okay, here's, here's, uh, you know, Yoshimitsu, here's a special mechanic. And, you know, looking at this impossibly large move set of like 120 moves, here's like the seven you should know to start. Uh, and I think that stuff is, is as helpful as like a single player campaign can be. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think it is always getting more valuable. So we talked about Guilty Gear Strive a little bit when you're talking about your most anticipated games of 2021 yeah. and you've played the beta and... Mm-hmm. I okay, so I, I'll start off with the negative because it's like the, a big one, but it's maybe the only problem I have right now with the game uh, is that I, that lobby system is still bad, and they should figure out a way around it. It's uh, the Arxis crap where you're like running around the little world. Yeah, it's its own like new version of that where Ooh. it's like a two D. You build like a, a a voxel version of yourself, which is like a three D sprite basically, and you you know you can build your avatar. But what you're doing is that like their their lobby system and their ranking system is one thing where you pick like okay where do you play east coast west coast you know like uh japan europe whatever you pick your region and in that region there is like 10 floors and you play like a match against an ai and they're like okay depending on like based on how well you did we'll put you in a floor uh and you can play any floor above you so you can like oh i'm floor three i can challenge someone in floor 10 which is where the best players are but you can't go below so you can't you can't like go basically into a bunch of lower floors and wreck shop you know and like piss people off um but that's like where you have to go to fight anybody. And that includes like, hey, if you have a friend who wants to play with you, you both have to be in the same lobby in the same region and in the same instance, which is the hard part. Just so go you for have a to- menu. What is all yeah. this? 
Yeah, that I think that part is is bad. I think that like they always want to have that sort like social hangout stuff where it's like, oh, you look at all these people playing Guilty Gear. That's really cool, and I'm, it feels like I'm hanging out and just playing random people. Um, but they should just straight up have like a play rank match thing, or like, yeah. like make me my own lobby, invite my friend, and that's we're gonna play here all day. Um, that said, they actually one of the biggest improvements they made from the last beta is they actually implemented rollback netcode, um, which it used to be delay based, which is kind of like the older standard, and now like. You know, I I had nothing but great matches, and people were reporting, "Hey, I'm I'm in you know Europe playing against someone in Japan." Like, couldn't really tell. Like, it was really it, like the whole community called us about like, "Okay, great." You know, we've been in quarantine, but there are certain fighting games that just became unplayable. Like, fan, yeah, uh, Blue really suffered from that, and you know, hopefully, this is like a a move towards all fighting game developers implementing this kind of better netcode. Um, and yeah, like they, they announced the last character on the base roster, which is Eno, who is my favorite Guilty Gear character. So finally, I have like a character that I'm like all in on. Um, but even like playing the um, the beta, I played a few. I played um, Potemkin and I played Axel, which is basically Zangief and Dalsim. Um, but like those characters, it still feels really interesting and complex, which I think a lot of people were concerned about. Oh, they're going to dumb it down. Sure. Uh, you know, they're going to be too simple. And like I'm still at the point where like I'm still learning a bunch of stuff. Um, I'm not still super huge into the combo system where it's like they got rid of the, you know, light, medium, heavy will all always usually combo. It's a lot more bespoke. So I'm not still sold on that part, but I had a blast playing the beta. It was really cool. Oh, nice. And when's that thing coming out? Guilty Gear Strife? Uh, April 9th. So it's actually pretty soon. Yeah. Coming up quick. Um, I was playing a fighting game recently, Serial. Um, I was playing SNK versus Capcom colon match the millennium which is yeah. Neo Geo Pocket Game originally. Is that right? Yeah, so, which is part of uh, SNK and Capcom's really weird deal to make crossover games back in the late 90s. Yeah, so, I mean, we don't need a full history, but I was just surprised. So this is on Switch. You can get it for like eight bucks. Um, but it's just, I'm attracted to it just because it's like a boiled down, simplified fighter where it's like, okay, you're just going to have one kick button, one punch button, and then having like the SNK lineup versus the Capcom lineup is cool for the simple fighter and the cool thing too on the switch is maybe this is like what they had in the capcom thing you're talking about jeff and with the perspective but it's a weird thing where on the switch they have it so they can multiply the screen and move it horizontally the point is if you have the joy cons attached to the switch as if it was like a switch light or something you can hold it on your end and then the person sitting across from you can also be holding the switch and it'll look like the screen is right in front of you and you can play that way which is kind of a cool idea like i'm looking forward to in my mind i don't know when i would do this with the state of the world but like i want to go on a road trip and just have this weird pocket chibi fighting game for snk versus capcom available at any time but um did they ever release dive kick on switch i don't think so but then wouldn't that be a natural fit and yeah. play i had it on vita and you could each hold one side of it and oh, it's just really? you know, a one button game so you could just each press the buttons which is weird because iron galaxy does so much switch port work you think that yeah. they, they know it well enough they could crank that sucker out. It's but, a great mobile game to have. Yeah. But yeah, Serial, SNK versus Capcom. Beloved, which is the best one? How much do you know about this? I mean, this is one of the later ones because like the, the whole deal was that like uh, they wanted to do crossover, but I think SNK got caught up in like, oh, we want to make this card battling game. That'll be our side of it. We'll make uh, card clash games where it's like this this crossover thing where we make card battling games and then capcom was like we we really just want to make fighting games and so they made like you know capcom versus snk and snk2 which is like the one that everyone likes and including myself 
so they haven't done anything with that because those are Capcom games, and SNK has been like the one that's been slowly releasing all of their older games. Oh, okay. And then they made this because it was like, oh, those games ended up being pretty popular. Let's make our own. Um, so this is definitely kind of like a more curio than anything else. Um, but I'm hoping that this like I at least confirms that Capcom and SNK haven't at least been talking about things, and hopefully this leads to you know uh, Capcom versus SNK two getting a modern version of itself which is which is one of my favorite fighting games um speaking of capcom talking to people and leo and jeff just keep it down please this is fighting game <laughs> corner time um sorry what do you think about the ryu and chun li is it in Fortnite? yeah that's really weird are uh, they actually in there because i just saw like the headline and i was trying to imagine like is it literally ryu running around with like a machine gun yeah, you can basically like you can select Ryu and Chun Li. I th- I don't know if you have to buy the customs. I don't know how Fortnite works, but like you can play as as you know skins of those characters, which is weird because I was recently playing uh, Street Fighter Five because they had they launched their new season, and I I don't know if I can turn it off, but like they have ads before some of the fights. Yeah, and it said like ad supported by, and it was like the promo art they had for Fortnite. So it's like Ryu, Chun Li, and a bunch of Fortnite people, and it said like you know here's the Street Fighter match supported by Fortnite. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it was this really weird, like, okay, I guess I can't ignore this at this point, but yeah, it was really weird. I saw someone posting a, um, an image that I thought, I thought was really funny of like, uh, there's a thing in, in fighting games called, uh, Oki, which is like what you do after you get knocked down. Um, and someone was like, is this Oki? Cause they had Ryu down, like, you know, they, their teammate had been down and Chun was just pointing a machine gun. At him. <laughs> uh, so it's like, oh, okay, this is a really good wake up option. So like, yeah, just seeing how like little they fit into that world is really funny it's it's gross but that's Fortnite at this point it's just funny yeah. how absurd it has gotten like people brought up uh i think i saw some snarky tweets about like oh it turns out the next marvel versus capcom is just literally in Fortnite now because you can have all these marvel characters yeah. shooting up street yeah. fighter characters it's yeah, that's, insane it's a weird world <laughs> uh yeah strange sloth watching us live at the backstage past here uh, he says that the emotes for them are really cool though so maybe yeah, it's not all bad. that those two things I think can make for like, you know, instant viral tweet. You find some random dance that doesn't fit with a new character. And then mm. it's like instant viral tweet. Instant. <laughs> um, Taylor C submits a question on Patreon. He says, I feel like a game's quality can be summed up by how much I need to use their map system. Breath of the Wild is a great example. I hardly ever need to refer to it. Control, on the other hand, I constantly need to check and still don't understand where I am. Not that Control is a bad game because of it, but there's a lot to enjoy still. What are your favorite map systems? What annoys you most in a map system? Yeah, it's it's that with the Control example, I remember hearing people saying, like, it's better if you don't use the map at all and That's, just follow yeah. the in-game signs. That's what they were originally designing it for, and then eventually it was like, fine, we'll put a map in. And so it, now that you're relying on the map, it kind of is this weird disconnected feel. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Verticality is tricky in maps. Not a lot get it right as far as being able to tell where an objective is compared to you, or at least in a mini map. Yeah. How do you do it? What's the best way to show go up? Like the, the make a flat game. Well, dead space map. Ooh. It was like a hologram kind of. Yeah. But, you, know, you could actually like, yeah, see the verticality in it. And Metroid even, Prime had a really good one as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but the nice thing about of, Dead Space is like it was the Metroid Prime map, except it was just like in front of you on the floor. So you could see exactly where you're at, almost like a Diablo map or something. It's nice to have that literal yeah. perspective. There's also, you know, like uh, Castlevania stuff, you know, Metroidvania stuff where 
you're slow you're like you get some satisfaction of slowly making the map bigger and then like oh, okay i have i've marked these points as points i need to go back to and then as you're like okay now i have the double jump so now i can go back and fill out the rest of the map i think those are your usually like that's just a, a cool thing in video games yeah far cry 2 physically holding the map Ooh, that's good not pausing gameplay you just pull it up and try to drive while looking at it and crash (laughs) into a tree that's an excellent i don't know why more games haven't done that it's i love that mechanic of it not pulling you out of the game to look at the map uh leo new show plus idea um can you take note leo shows off far cry 2 please yeah exclusive yes thank you (laughs) and then we'll come up with some pun headline you know you know the drill um, or, yeah, yeah. Right, itself. right. Uh, hey, Mexi Flores submits a comment and asks, "Hey, everybody! Besides loving video games, what other hobbies are y'all into? Hobbies, hobbies. hobbies. I've been getting into cooking lately. Oh, how so? Uh, cooking I've never valued. I think for a long time my time was more valuable to me than anything. So I was like, I'll do half an hour of gaming and just heat up some slop in the microwave." Mm-hmm. But now that I live with a girlfriend who's at work all day, it makes sense to me to be, oh, I'm going to put something in the slow cooker today. So she has dinner ready when she gets home or do meal prep. So we have lunches for the week. It makes sense to me and my new lifestyle. And it's been fun. I love our slow cooker. Made some chicken and dumplings just yesterday. They're delicious. Is that the secret? Just throw everything in the slow cooker? Yes. Okay. Recipes that are just get these ingredients, put them in the slow cooker and leave it for six hours are my favorite. <laughs> See, me and my wife are on an opposite track now from you, Leo, in that we have an instant pot, which is all about making it much faster, but still still having it end up taste like a slow cook, uh, you know, meal. Nice. Uh, and that's pretty sweet, too. We got an air fryer as well. I, I guess there there must just be a lot of more a lot more food hobbies going on because we all can't go out and eat all the time. Oh, yeah. that's probably uh, it. Yeah. This. Yeah. Why is everybody proclaiming air fryers to be the second coming of Christ? Are they really as great as everybody's making it seem? Man, I don't know. It's I like we just got this one, and uh, so we're kind of still in the honeymoon phase of it. I think I wasn't. I wasn't as sold on it as my wife was. Oh, oh here we go. Really She's right behind you. But it's it the is, other honeymoon's yeah, over. We we made ribs in it last night, uh, and they turned out really well. Very juicy, but it took like 15 minutes to cook instead of an hour. And so it's wow. it's just, I think it's just like kind of cutting down that time. And then there are some foods that you can get crispy, kind of like, you would by frying them in oil, but without the oil. Yeah. So it's supposedly a little healthier. You're not going to, I still, I still don't believe that you can make good fries in them, you know, and that kind of stuff. But, but for some, for some things for cooking and also because it's just two of us, you know, you're like cooking in a, in a much smaller container as opposed to having to like turn on and preheat the oven for 20 minutes or whatever before you put stuff in. I have bad news, Jeff. I mean, you actually need to feed your child as well. There are technically three of you in the house. Well, what he's eating right now, we don't have to worry too much about. <laughs> what is that like? What's the weirdest thing you've bought to feed your kid? It. He's still breastfeeding. What? Exclusively. Yeah. The, he's, <laughs> he's still only four months old. So the, he, we're getting to the point where they said we could start transitioning to baby food if he shows an interest in food and he hasn't shown an interest in food yet. Have you asked? 
I, you know, like I, every now and then I'll take something that I'm eating and I'll kind of rub it on his lips to see if I get any kind of reaction from him. But he, he hasn't cared too much yet. Do you think it's like people don't want to wean their kids off breastfeeding, like in a Game of Thrones style way? Um, because it's like, why would we do that? This is infinite free food. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think uh, the women would probably have something to say about is that, that right? more because it's it's not the most comfortable thing for them to have to be doing it mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Yeah. leo write that down in your show plus um breastfeeding is uncomfortable just a reminder just in that google doc yeah. thanks not not a show okay. idea no just like no just to be reminder. very clear yes just Keep a bit front of mind yes yeah. please um, i've also been reading if that counts as a hobby yeah. oh man i've been doing so much reading it Hell is yeah. very satisfying what are you what are you reading these days leo i just finished glamorama by brett easton ellis it's apparently the book Zoolander is loosely based on, but oh, it's really? much, much darker. It's about a male model in the 90s who gets caught up in a, a some kind of terrorist scheme. How'd you find that? I, it was recommended on a with a really random spoiler, which I guess I will spoil if you don't want to hear it, whatever. But it got me interested in reading the book. It has the most vivid description of a plane crash or a plane explosion, rather, that I'd ever seen. Oh, my ever God. Read. And it doesn't happen for a long time. When it does, it lived up to the hype. Oh, this but is... yeah, I, I haven't read in so long. I thought I just didn't like reading anymore, but I've been finding books that I am more interested in. That's it. You just got to find the right book. Um, I don't no. know. I don't know how much I can talk about it, but uh, I got to read Jason Trier's new book. We'll be talking to him in the future when that comes out, I think in May. But that was one where it's like, well, I will just read this in two sittings. Like, I'm just going to fly through this freaking thing. Um, you just got to find the right book. You know, I've, I've gone through a couple good uh you know nonfiction books recently that have also been flying through nice i just yeah. got the uh ebook for running man because there was that running man news and i was like i've never read this and it sounds l- i i didn't know that the that the original film was kind of a bastardization yeah of, and i didn't know that stephen king wrote it because he wrote it under a pen name and so i was like you know what i'm gonna check this out jeff i swear to god yesterday i went for a walk and i was thinking i should read that original running man because i love that movie and i'm so curious to see what edgar wright's gonna do with it yeah i'm i'm eager to start it i haven't started it yet but let me know how it is please Ooh, we can just do a max spoilers on running man this seems pretty fun the book (laughs) the book um, Beefcake submits a question on Patreon saying, hello, cohorts. Um, what was the last video game your parents bought for you? I think mine was probably Jack and Daxter because after that, I started babysitting my cousins and making that sweet, sweet cheddar. This is a weird one. Does anybody remember the last I game? It must have been Rock Band 3 because that would have been the timeline where I was paying for my own video games with saved up allowance, but that one would have been a Christmas gift or something. That's a biggie. How much was that? Does anybody remember? 180, I want to say. Yeah. Around there. God, that's insane. That? Think about how many copies they sold at that price. It is a testament to their success. I warned my girlfriend the other day that someday I'm going to have a midlife crisis and buy all those instruments again, and they're going to take up space in our beautiful mansion we'll have. Here's, um, here's the secret to that, Leo. I've already gone through this experience. Um, I crave rock band a lot. We just remain really friendly with Brian Shea because not okay. only does he have like the high-end version of all the instruments, but he has literally spent thousands of dollars on DLC for every rock band. And so we just go over to his house and like buy him pizza and then we don't got to buy crap. That's a great idea. I Thanks. would absolutely do that. So you're using Brian Shea. In a way, aren't all friendships just 
people using each other. That's right, Leo. That's right. what I've been trying to teach you. More transactional <laughs> friendships. <laughs> um, but yeah, does anybody else have a specific memory of mommy and daddy buying something good? I think the last game that I remember my parents buying for me was Final Fantasy X-2. Because <laughs> we like, I really like Ten, and they, I bought Ten Two. I think I, well, no, they're like they, I, they got it for me for Christmas because I was like, oh, that's the character that I know. Give me that one. Um, and I, I remember like really liking it in the first few hours, and then I got stuck on a puzzle that the guide could not help me with. Like I, I bought a guide because of this one issue of like, oh, you, you need like however many spheres to open this door, and I was missing one of the spheres, and I just could not figure it out. Bought a guide, still could not find it and so it's just like well i'm done with this game i guess mommy daddy uh, don't buy me games anymore <laughs> yeah be like this. Point, yeah how dare you buy me this game you should know that i i, I can't control my own judgment i don't know what's good or bad. <laughs> did uh that's surprising though that like you think you were internet savvy at that point you'd think it i mean didn't you look up reviews for that one Although I wonder what uh, it did. No, I, I I don't think I was like super into like games coverage for a while. Really? I think it maybe took until like 2005, 2004. And this might have been like just before that. Um, but yeah, I, there was still this was still the period where I was buying physical strategy guides for basically everything. Uh, so, yeah, it was, a, it was a weird time. But yeah, Final Fantasy X-2. I'm, I'm actually kind of curious to revisit it because like maybe it was just a thing that was super obvious or there was a glitch or something. And, you know, maybe I'll go back through it again and love it this time. Yeah, I, I have it on Switch. But just to let you know, Serial, um, if I could project my mind into yours, even if you owned it on Switch, you still wouldn't find the time to start up Final Fantasy X-2. That's a good point, yeah. But, Jeff, um, guess the Metacritic score for Final Fantasy X-2. Eighty-seven. Very good guess. Eighty-five. Isn't that nuts? People hey, say maybe, it's astounding. Maybe really like it whatsoever. Like so I don't. You know. Tell me it's a hundred. You could tell me it was forty. I would have no idea. In my mind, it was just like this uh, middling sequel. But my god, that's so much higher than I thought. Gamespot What's gave the it a user name? score. Um, I already closed it, but Leo, it was twelve. Wow. Yeah. 10 plus 2. Yeah. Out of 100 or out of 10? I don't know. It was 12 big ones. <laughs> um, Brand- $12, dollars <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what they're talking about. Brandon Sylvia from Easygoing Gaming uh, submits a question asking, if each of you could pick one Rockstar game to be remade, what would it be? I know it might be unnecessary given the amount of great racing games already in the market, but I'd see a remake, a remaster, Midnight Club Dub Edition. I have a ton of nostalgia for that game, and I think it actually holds up pretty well. Hmm. That would be San Andreas. Yeah. I mean, five is one third of that. <laughs> yeah. But I like the other two thirds of that. And, <laughs> and I also like the characters and the time setting mm. to it. Yeah. Leo, new show plus idea. Um, slowly touring Las Venturas in San Andreas. I'm curious, how would that hold up? Like, I remember thinking that was so cool back in the day. What's that, Leo? But slowly. (laughs) Right. But remember the the breastfeeding thing. Just keep that in mind. Keep it in mind. Just think about what what women have to go through. Yeah. I think it would help. I I would be weird. I think I enjoy Chinatown Wars so much that I would want, like, a a full, like, very high-fidelity remake of, like, Grand Theft Auto 1 or 2 just to, like – just to see, like, okay, we built this concept. It is still top-down. 
like what could they do with that i think would be kind of interesting it's just like a smaller scale okay we don't have to wait six years to release this game we can just kind of make the smaller thing and and still kind of pack it with all the 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 kind of parody stuff that we like to do. Yeah, that's interesting. And maybe Rockstar has changed so much now and leadership has shaken up, but I always feel like they've kind of, not disowned, but they aren't too interested in celebrating the pre-three days because it seemed like the Housers had much less of an impact. Did they even work on GTA 1? I'm not even sure. I don't know. Yeah, but it would be fun to have them go back and celebrate that in some way. Uh, I I would also like to see them remake Agent and actually release it this time. Mm, smart, smart. Really yeah. went wrong. They forgot to hit that one button right at the end. It's a classic faux pas in game so development. Fun. It's just going to come out as Agent Remastered. Red Dead uh, 1, or not 1, 2, Red Dead Redemption. Ever since in Red Dead 2, I mean Red Dead Redemption 2. What's happening? In the epilogue... <laughs> Sorry. Easy, easy. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And Are you nuts? Shut up. Jeffem hasn't finished that game. It's a glitch. Oh, okay, cool. Go on. In the epilogue, you could hear Jack Marston voice lines that didn't seem to be from Red Dead Redemption 1. And ever since then, there's been a rumor that they're preparing a Red Dead Redemption remaster slash remake to put in Red Dead Redemption 2. And that's still my dream. Like, I know that game isn't yeah. that old, but to have those two games in one... It's a lock for greatest work of art of all time. <laughs> yeah, God. That would be so smart of them to do because it's still that thing of, I don't know, no one even knows what they want from Red Dead Redemption 3, but we also were oh. saying that a while ago. Um, yeah, I think for me it'd be Vice City. I mean, I'm sure licensing that soundtrack would be a thousand times harder at this point, but that'd be fun to, to revisit that and have it looking great because, I mean, the Miami setting, I guess, what, Max Payne 3? Is that Miami? Uh, I think it, it takes partially okay. in Miami. Yeah, but it's like open world Miami, it's not really been done too many times. Yeah. Has there been a Dexter game? Probably uh, mobile. Um, anyways, uh, VRG mm. submits a question and he says, forgive me if this question has been asked before, but what is your favorite movie of all time? <laughs> Don't all jump on it at once. <laughs> I keep answering them first. Because <laughs> you got the fire in your belly. I, I forgot that I had an answer for this. Um, yeah. But I did choose one, and I, I'm not, I'm not going to passionately stand by it. But in terms of – because I was going to say, like, The Godfather or something, which is just kind of a lame answer, you know? Like, that's probably one of the best movies of all time. But if I'm going for pure favorite films – I just watched The NeverEnding Story again, and I could wow. watch that movie every day for the rest of my life. It's just <laughs> such, it's such a fun, and I'm looking forward to being able to watch it with my son when he's a little bit older and can understand stories and stuff. Yeah, but it it is such a fun story, and you know, like stupid, creative, like goofy characters and everything. But then also just like that kind of wholesome message of like. Be creative and be imaginative and don't don't let the world destroy you like Bastion's father, you know. What prompted that? Why did you go back and watch that again? Uh, we we were we were actually we've been going through and watching a ton of old 80s movies that my wife never watched. I think it was because I saw Coming to America 2 is coming out <laughs> yeah. on Amazon. And yeah. So I was like, well, we should watch the old one and then we should watch and we, we watched that one and there's like there's that cameo to trading places that I, that I completely forgot was yep, in there. I was like, yep. Oh, well we should watch that one. And then, and then it was like, okay, I'm just going to find a bunch of like the 
most classic 80s comedy movies and we're just going to watch them all. That's the so AC weird. The Manic Universe. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yes. ACU. Um, I have written down, Jeff, um, Coming to America. Like, I was, because I was thinking about how hyped I was for that sequel, even though I, I expect it to be mediocre, maybe. But um, I love that movie so much as a kid. And obviously, my real answer is, is Jurassic Park. But I have, I loved Coming to America so much as a kid. And I've never seen Trading Places. And so always that reference, at some point, somebody told me it was a reference to this other movie. But I'm so curious, both how Trading Places is and how Coming to America holds up. Yeah, they're, they're good. And and before that, my I, I sat down with my wife and we tried to watch um, Raw. Oh, has that aged well? No. And, and that was like, it was genuinely upsetting to my wife, you know, kind of the tone and misogyny and stuff of it. And so she was, she was like, she was very skeptical going into Eddie Murphy films, Yeah, but he did such a good job of picking the roles and the characters that he played in all those movies, because he always played such like a kind of genuine and good hearted person. And I, I think coming to America is, is that what, like maybe not, you know, like Axel, Ro- I can't fully. Yeah. Axel yeah. Ro- you know, yeah. Those, those kind of yeah, Axel Rose. Uh, I, I can't remember all of his movies, but mm-hmm. like coming to America, trading places, those kind of, those kind of roles. He, he always picked like such, such good people that it kind of completely changed her opinion. Not that she had, she, Based based on what she saw, what she was expecting from old Eddie Murphy, right? It, it like completely changed her opinion. Oh, good! I'm actually I'm going to watch Coming to America tonight. I'm super excited about it. You should uh, go for it. It they they it holds up. There's still a lot of those old movies. There's like just a casual cruelty, like towards homosexuals and stuff. Course. Where where you you just it it they have been interesting to watch purely for like. Oh wow! Like I forgot how just like pervasive like this stereotype was, and that that like they didn't even think about putting in those kind of jokes. We watched Mannequin too, and that's that's another one where you know like the assistant is just very stereotypical and yeah. yeah it, but it, it's it's been an, it's been interesting. Like there's still all those movies are you know they're still funny but then it's it's been interesting watching them through kind of this different lens that we all live through now it's so wild how even recent ish movies it's just you're bracing for impact of like oh god this is going to be rough where um just over the summer i watched knocked up again or in my mind i'm like knocked up last time i watched it, i remember thinking well that's just a perfect film that's just as solid as a little movie can get and going back and watching it uh, this summer, I had this epiphany where it's like, yeah, remember all those great improv scenes that we all love from Jed Apatow movies? It turns out they were all just standing around calling each other gay for three minutes. And that was like, you know, improv. You call each other gay. There we go. <laughs> it's like, Jesus Christ, everybody. Groundlings. Yeah, exactly. Yes, and you're gay as well. Pause for <laughs> laughter. It's really embarrassing. Yeah, and and like workplace harassment. Right. Is- is just stunning in all of these movies. Like, like people look at, look at, you know, like the me too movement and things and be like, how did we get here? It's like, it was the fricking eighties. It, this was the entertainment that everyone grew up on and that we normalized and said, this is how you act towards people. And it's funny and it's, you know, cute. And the women are going to like you because you're this sexist jerk. And yeah, it's, it's been an interesting eighties journey. 
yeah, even <laughs> sorry, movies, everybody. Um, but even I, I watched Devil Wears Prada for the first time a couple days ago, and even that, there's this whole storyline about Anne Hathaway wanting to get a job uh, in the you know as a writer for magazines, and there's this guy that works in the industry, and it's very much like, hey, I could do you a favor, but we gotta go on a date, uh, and it's just like the biggest skis, and the way the movie sets it up, it's like. They're trying to make him seem cool and sexy and that he is a good guy. It's just such a weird dynamic. And that was just, you know, 15 years ago, whenever that was. I watched The Mummy the other night. And there's a part very early on where our hero, Brendan Fraser, gives a very unwanted kiss to a lady, the other, the main lady of the movie. And by the mummy. end, by <laughs> The Mummy 2, they're married. <laughs> Nice. That's right. She's the mummy. Mummy two, married to my mummy. Mummy two, Mrs. Mummy. (laughs) Is there a Mrs. Mummy? (laughs) Hey, what about good movies though? Did we hit everybody's favorite movie? Where we at? I was going to say, I I I think depending on the day, I I'll either choose Shaun of the Dead or Inherent Vice. I think those two movies are very different. Uh, but I, I, I love them to death. I actually watched Shaun of the Dead pretty recently, and I think it mostly holds up. I there's maybe I remember there being a couple jokes in there that are kind of like you know uh uh kind of messed up but like i think for the most part that movie holds up pretty well i think also it's maybe a little bit more relevant in that like it's literally someone watching and ignoring the spread of a pandemic until it kind of affects them where they're <laughs> right. just kind of casually watching is like okay i'm gonna ignore this and go about my business until they literally can't ignore it anymore uh so it's it actually ends up being somewhat prescient about like oh it wouldn't be like it like the world if something if like the zombie apocalypse were to happen it wouldn't immediately be like dawn of the dead mode it, it would a lot of people would choose to ignore it until something happened to them right yes um, yeah and then inherent vices i love movies that like confuse the hell out of me for some reason where i'm just like what did i just watch and then like kind of trying to pick it apart and slowly kind of get at like every viewing you understand a little bit more of it and with Inherent Vice, I, I watched the movie in theaters because I thought like it looked pretty cool. And then I was like, I'm not entirely sure I know what happens in this movie. Uh, and then I read the book and I was like, oh, OK. So there's like some th- I, I get what's going on. And then I watched the movie again. And now I feel like I have a solid idea of what's going on in the movie. Inherent Vice like I, I, is it is the Kentucky Road Zero of cinema. <laughs> yeah. And that like every time I watch it, I get something different and another like tone out of it. Um, but yeah, I, I really enjoy watching that movie. And also just like, you know, uh, what kids would say the vibes, you know, I really like the kind of like very slacker stoner, like 70s kind of like I'm an idiot and I'm high all the time. And basically everyone around me solves the case for me. Uh, and so but there is just a lot of like retro California, like I live in like this weird like not a bungalow house in the middle of, you know, uh, Sam, uh, like California and the beach back when it was affordable to do that kind of thing. Right. Right. Mm. That's so weird. Leo. Oh, Kingsman. Swiss army man. Oh, Kingsman's top three, but Swiss army man, I'm waiting for something to dethrone it. And I've stumbled upon a random Daniel Radcliffe interview recently. He plays the farting corpse in Swiss Army Man. Mm. And I know in all in- interviews for every movie, they're like, wow, it's so fun to work on. I love this movie. But it's funny because that one, he was promoting two movies at the same time. And one of them, he was an FBI guy or whatever. And he's like, yeah, Swiss Army. somebody said something about Swiss Army Man. He's like, oh, yeah, it's, it's the most beautiful film I've ever done. It's amazing. And then they're like, and you're doing this other thing, too. And you're playing an FBI guy. That's interesting. You got these two different roles. And he's like, yeah, that's something. <laughs> you know, I I recommended Swiss Army Man to Kyle and was like, you have to watch this movie. And he chose to watch it with his wife for like a date night. 
And he said that they watched like <laughs> 10 minutes and, and then he had to turn it off. And I was like, that's not the date night movie, Kyle. So Did you tell him it wasn't a date night movie though? Well, no, I didn't. I didn't think he would assume <laughs> that a movie about a farting corpse, magic corpse would be. I will say if they too. stuck with it, might've been more of a date night movie. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think I did watch that with my wife though. And she, yeah. she enjoyed, she cried during it too. That is still is, one of those. It is a surprisingly moving, you know what? Maybe we all should have said Swiss army man. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> it is one of the most surprisingly structured movies I think I've ever seen. I've just like, I have no clue. Like, I don't know if this is a third act or what, like what is going on in every step of that movie. Right. I note to self watch Swiss army man. I have not seen it. I should definitely check it out. Um, uh, also we should be angry at Kyle cause he hasn't watched in and of itself yet on Hulu, which people in the backstage pass, Joseph Dowdy said that he just watched it and it's incredible. Have you watched in and of itself yet, Leo? Yeah. It's pretty good. Oh, good. Yeah. It was cool. It was cool. Oh, good. And have you watched, um, uh, on his favorite show, how to with John Wilson yet? Yes. Only a few episodes. What'd you think about that structure? Amazing. I mean, people, all I heard about it was it's amazing the shots he got yeah. for the ridiculously specific weird moments he captured, and it yeah. exceeded my expectations in that department. <laughs> and I'm watching it episode by episode every once in a while. It's kind of nice to just have. And then each episode, there's plenty to sit with and think about rather than, you know, binge the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, perfect. Um, Where Adam, do you watch that? HBO Max. HBO yeah. Max, baby. Adam Wagner, Wagner, Wagner uh, says, hey, why does the MinMax Instagram account follow Greta Gerwig? Um, because, Adam, I'm a big fan of Greta Gerwig, and um, I tried sending her a message on Instagram to see if she wanted to be interviewed on MinMax. You want to talk about Fortnite? <laughs> Please, anything you want, Greta. I would love to talk about it. Put little women in Fortnite. What do you make of Splatoon, which is also, you know, kind of maybe in your wheelhouse thematically about it being climate crisis and rising water levels? No, no, Greta Gerwig, the director. Sorry. Oh, I, say, I got to mix up with Greta Thunberg at first, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> My mistake. I'm sorry. Yeah, but I'm sure Greta cares a lot about, about on a first-time basis, about the environment as well. Um, and so, yeah, as a reminder, you can check out Max's Instagram. I post a video every single day talking about, you know, what we're doing in the future, what we're releasing that day, behind-the-scenes stuff. Um, but, yeah, Adam asked why we follow Greta Gerwig. Um, she didn't respond, by the way, which is totally understandable. Wow. I have so much respect for Greta Gerwig. I'm happy she didn't respond to my Instagram message. <laughs> <laughs> but Michael Moran also replied then to Adam's comment on Patreon. And he said, if you unfollow Greta Gerwig, I will write in and ask the inverse of this question. So thank you for, for <laughs> noticing the few people we follow. Yeah. What if she just replied, said uh, LMAO no? <laughs> that just crushed you i would no i would release that as the interview with greta gerwig and i would just read that out loud have a uh you know theatrical reading of it um i'm a biggie boy says what video game soundbite hits you the most with nostalgia or just song i guess he says mine will forever be the great fairy fountain theme from ocarina of time it's like a warm blanket or a warm blanket of sound telling me it loves me <laughs> that is the best way to describe that yeah Recently, uh, I, I mean, a lot of soundtracks I've still listened to from games, so they kind of don't give me nostalgia anymore. Things like Donkey Kong 64 or yeah. whatever. Yeah, 64. But rediscovering the uh, pit, Star Wars Pit Droid soundtrack, which is a game I played when I was five years old, and I didn't didn't think any of it was in me still. But yeah. then hearing it again, I couldn't believe that I even remembered it initially. <laughs> what it is the gameplay for brain. Star Wars Pit Droid? 
it's like lemmings. You guide different pit droids around and make them not crash into each other and get to their objective. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so tough. Like the number one nostalgic song. Does it need to be like a friendly song? A nice warm song? I don't know. They said soundbite, right? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Did you have something in mind, Cyril? Uh, I, I I think I always end up like really enjoying like random when I hear things that sound like fighting game like character select sounds mm. when you pick different characters and then it makes like a really like synthesized like twang or whatever like I, right that stuff is always like I'm always attributing random sounds like oh that sounds like that like a uh, uh, like a fighting game thing uh and that that like my laundry uh, like my my washer like when you pick the different settings on it it sounds like one of those like dings or whatever so i'm always like oh i'm selecting my character to how to wash my whites <laughs> heavy load yeah, is that exactly. why you is that why you bought that washer specifically i mean i didn't buy it but i'm i'm glad it's there okay uh, I guess yeah. I, I had a tough time. It's like maybe Donkey Kong Country 2's title theme because I remember borrowing my friend's Game Boy and just like holding it up to my ear because I thought it sounded so good. And then I just realized like oh, the reason I love it so much is because it's just the hook theme, which I also love so much. Although the composer, David Wise, when we interviewed him back on the Game Informer show, he insisted it was not based on the hook theme, but there is no universe where that man was telling the <laughs> truth. It's absurd. That's funny. Uh, I I had a lot of options bouncing around in my head, and then I realized, yeah, it's just it's just the Zelda theme, just that, the overall theme. To, to the point, yeah, to the point where I get mad if it's not in a in a Zelda game. Like, just put that one in every game. You, yeah, you got to have it when that builds up. Like that just feels so good. Still, I love the fact I'm that not it's even not that big of a fan anymore. But but I love the fact that it's not in Ocarina. It's such a weird thing. Not to have the most iconic song, unless it's in like the credits or something, but I don't think so. Yeah, not, yeah. don't give us the thing that we all love so much. That's, right. That's my favorite. It's like I get frustrated with every trailer for a Mission Impossible movie where they don't have the Mission Impossible theme song under it. And I'm sure they have discussions, they talk around it, but it's like, hey, us on the outside, we get to watch a Mission Impossible trailer, what, average every six years in our lives? Yeah, we would like to hear the song in the trailer. Everybody, you're doing it. Don't call it Mission Impossible if you don't want to give us the one thing that we need. It's it's why James Bond always says like the same stupid lines every time. It's fun to say. Like, don't, don't don't pretend that you're better than the thing that you're making. <laughs> yes, I completely agree. And please also keep the naming structure for Mission Impossible confusing. Mission colon impossible <laughs> hyphen Rogue Nation, or whatever the hell they do that. Yeah, please. Hoots uh, writes in and says, Hello, brochachos. I cannot stop playing Hades. I've rolled the true credits of the game, and while obviously there's still plenty to unlock after that, uh, there's also no denying that I'm doing the same stuff over and over again. Despite this, I can't put the game down. I'm afraid that my backlog, like Zagreus, is doomed to remain in the underworld forever. My question is, have you ever been hooked on a game like this? And if so, what did it finally take to break the cycle? A new game I love is the only thing that's ever done it. But so, right now I feel like I'm in a siege cycle where it's all I want to play and I and I it's still great so I don't know if I need to break myself out of it but God it, it's been a while right since you've fallen back in love with siege Yeah it has it's been ups and downs for sure but yeah playing a full team of 5 ranked lately it's like gaming does not get better than this than oh, these wow. emotions it's giving me That's beautiful so that's that's the solution who it's just keep dabbling in highly addictive games until one will eventually pop through 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I read that as kind of like a, how do you break out of it? Yeah. My answer is just don't, man. If you're having, if you're still having fun with it, just play the thing that's ma- that's still giving you a lot of fun. Don't worry about your backlog or anything like that. And don't mention Red Dead right now, Hanson. Okay. Shut up. I'm not planning on it. I wouldn't dream of it. Uh, or Rob, not with a good excuse. I can say that, you know, I'm being social with friends, so I should play it forever and nothing You else. don't even need the excuse, Leo. Just whatever free time you got, spend it doing something that you enjoy doing. And if that's Hades for you, keep on going. If that's ignoring Red Dead Redemption 2, you do you. We're not going to tell yeah. you what to do. Uh, Ryan Foshi writes in. He says, howdy, Ben and crew. Uh, this week, I have a game for you, which I like to call... Match the subtitle to the proper game franchise, colon, starring Garfield and Tom and Jerry. Below our list of subtitles, you must guess whether the subtitle belongs to a Tom and Jerry game or a Garfield game. Incredible. <laughs> or neither. Oh! My God, this is quite the, quite the trick. My favorite one. franchise. <laughs> All right. The Magic Ring. Leo, is that Garfield <laughs> or Tom and Jerry? That is Tom and Jerry. Correct. Tom and Jerry, the magic ring. Who can forget it? Jeffum, Winter's Tale. Think about it. There's a clue. Garfield. <laughs> it's Garfield. Way to go. Also, if I song. Uh, Serial Vasquez. All right. Lay up town. Ready, Serial? Put your hands behind okay. your head for this one, yeah. dude. Big, fat, hairy deal. Is it Garfield? Garfield is all hell. Leo, cat scratch fever. <laughs> Tom and Jerry? It's neither. Come on, man. Oh, that's a tricky one. Jeffum. What? It doesn't yeah. say what it is? It's just fake? <laughs> I think he just made it up. Yeah. That's the song. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Jeffum, frantic antics. That's T&J, baby. Oh, that's a T&J. All right. Surreal. <laughs> Fists of Furry. Uh, I'm going to say Tom and Jerry. That is Tom and Jerry. Leo, for the final one, Infernal Escape. Uh, fake. I'm sorry, that's Tom and Jerry in the Infernal Escape. I, got it. Hey, yeah. Hanson, quick aside. Mm-hmm. Because we've had so many of them already. Yeah. I'm, I'm genuinely pissed that you cannot get a good compilation of all the Tom and Jerry episodes. I've looked multiple times over the years because that was always my favorite cartoon. Yeah. And there just doesn't exist. There's not a good one that exists. It's got to be like DVDs or something, right? They like they've had DVD releases, but they're always kind of staggered and they don't have all the episodes and like they'll only do like half the series and then, you know, like it died out or whatever. Well, the good news, Jeff, is you won't need those old good episodes because coming soon to HBO Max, you can get the Tom and Jerry film starring everybody's favorite cast. Um, okay. I'll the, take your The word guy from Weekend Update and more. Jerry. Jerry. Yeah, Jerry's, they couldn't get Tom. Seinfeld. But Jerry's pretty good. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, what do y'all like for a question of the week? I like the song, the nostalgia song. Favorite movie of all time was basic but effective. 30-minute conversation. Yeah, The Hobbies, Last Game Your Parents Bought, Good Maps. Last Game Your Parents Bought was an interesting question. That is true. Yeah. I mean, if we're talking about making the show better, I think the movie one is a contender. 
And, you know, we give it to games so much, we should give it to the opposite of a game. A really simple question sometimes. That's true. Is everybody okay it with was that? like half the conversation, so That is true. There we go. Congratulations, VRG. I am 8-Bit. We'll ship out that Uncharted Lost Legacy double album. Thanks so much. Now it's time for something we call Get a Load of This. Jeff, um, hate us, dude. Yeah, uh, hey, get a load of this, my friends. Uh, you, you remember when we did that, um predictions for 2021 list yeah where we had just all those stunningly accurate predictions i do and one of mine was that this was the year we were going to start seeing like all those ai advancements seep into video games oh sure yeah i'm cashing in already no uh there was a a demo made for Modbox. it like this indie kind of virtual demonstration that a person made that has that is using the GPT-3 like text AI stuff from OpenAI. And and so basically what he did was he ha- he has a little world and there are NPCs walking around in it and he will the video shows him walking up to a character asking him a question his computer like crunches his words into text it sends the text to the AI the AI spits out a text answer, and then that goes into a text-to-speech, like a, a pretty advanced text-to-speech, and then the character says it back. And he he goes through a couple, you know, like rudimentary conversations that he has with these characters, and it's already more entertaining than it has any right to be. And you're like sure he, this he isn't up, just this isn't just Leo's friend from VR Chat? Are you confident? I'm I'm pretty confident. All right, this seems legit. But he goes up to, you know, like this guy with a little cart and he asks him what he's selling. And he says that he's selling hot dogs and he asks what kind of hot dogs. And the and like it, it seems like the AI is practically role playing because he lists like multiple different types of hot dogs. And then the guy asks, how much are the hot dogs? And he just starts listing prices for each of the hot dogs that he listed previously. And it it already seems more fun than it should be. That sounds so, great. And there's a YouTube yeah. video of this in the link below? Yep. Yeah, we'll I'll, we'll put it in the comments. Show notes, but who's counting? Show notes. Uh, <laughs> Surreal? You got one, dude? Uh, yeah, this is mostly a, a quick uh, PSA when I, from when I was playing the Guilty Gear demo, or beta. Uh, if you're planning on playing that game, you should probably get the PS4 version because it gives you the free upgrade to the PS5 version. But more importantly... Because of Sony's thing where PlayStation 5 games won't accept inputs from PS4 controllers, you may you probably won't be able to use your arcade sticks oh, from PS4 on the PS5 version, which is I had that trouble in the beta. I couldn't use any of my arcade sticks uh, with the PS5 version of the beta, but I could on the PS4. They could patch it out. They could, you know, patch it to, to make sure that that actually works. But if you were planning on using an arcade stick, you should probably just get the PS4 version. There it is. Uh, hey, get a load of this. Um, there's a YouTube series that apparently is quite popular, but I just stumbled across it called Defunct Land. And it's about the history of, you know what, Leo? Of like old amusement parks and stuff. Yeah. Um, and they have an episode that uh, I watched where it's like 45 minutes or so. It's documentary style on the history of Coney Island, which was just fascinating just for like this one space and the evolution of it and having like these rival amusement parks building up different attractions and competing. And then they just 
constantly burned down and it is just chaos. And if you like that weird attempts at amusement parks from like the late 1800s, early 1900s, there is just some weird twisted stuff, you know, like, okay, in this area, um, we have people walk by and then we have a giant paddle that has electricity running through it and we spank all the guys on the butt. And then in this section, uh, we just have like blasts of air blowing girls' skirts up and like it's all weird and sexual. It's bizarre. They have like a giant brothel on Coney Island back in the day that was a multi-story brothel except it was like a giant elephant. So it's just like this giant elephant hotel that was a brothel. Anyways, it's a wild story. Check it out. It's called Defunct Land, The History of Coney Island um, on YouTube there. Leo, looks like you're studying something closely. How am I going to describe this in a succinct way that'll keep people interested? That's what I'm thinking, and now I'm ready. Hit it. Do it, dude. Get a load of this. It's an article I found on Pocket called The Decoy Effect, How You Are Influenced to Choose Without Really Knowing It. And it's an interesting article about a marketing strategy that I've noticed a lot since I read this article, which is like the decoy option of a thing of which there's three variations of. So this article uses the Nutribullet as an example, where there's the lower price, medium price, higher price, and how they fully expect you to buy the higher price based on how they've structured everything else to make it seem like, oh, it's not that much more to get the biggest, the maximum model, you know? Oh, and it talks about that with, you know, coffee sizes and everything. Sometimes they're trying to get you the by the medium option by having a ridiculous expensive option so the medium one doesn't look so bad. It's really interesting, I think. Diabolical. Huh. Weird. And the article's below. Um, Jeff, you pulled one from the community in the Discord? I certainly did, sir. Please. Get a load of this. Uh, this one is from Grizzled Gaming. It's a YouTube video called Fish on Wheels. And someone made a little uh, RC, like basically RC car with a fish tank on it, and it's it has a camera on it that's programmed so that when the fish, you know, like swims to different parts of the fish tank, it will drive in that direction. Oh so my basically, God. a fish can drive itself around on land and go, <laughs> you know, look go closer to the things that it's swimming towards because it's interested in them. Uh, and it's it's a very dumb people people come up with all kinds of i don't know who these fish people are they come up with so many interesting experiments for these fish but <laughs> now they're on land <laughs> they can't be stopped they're coming for the mayor too far yeah uh hey that's it for this episode of the min max show um couple quick things um we have min max council our patreon exclusive podcast uh every month the final sunday of every month we have the call-in episode and so this sunday um the 28th february 28th this sunday at 6 p.m central uh if you're at the 20 dollars tier uh the min max council tier on patreon you can call in and talk to me about whatever you'd like ask any question to the sun and serial you're gonna be joining as well that's right awesome so call in talk to serial and i um, we'd appreciate the support. It's a nice way to say thanks. And also, it'll be fun just to hear your voice. So if you're at that MinMax Council tier on Patreon, please call in and you can talk about your favorite game of all time, games you've been playing, your burning question for Serial. I know a lot of people want to ask about rollback netcode. Jump in there. We'd love to hear some new voices. Um, also, just plugging uh, the MinMax Council podcast in general. It is our weekly podcast uh, that's Patreon exclusive that goes up every Monday. Like on this episode, we talked about the Mortal Kombat trailer, uh, the news that Twisted Metal is... 
The TV show for Twisted Metal is moving forward uh, with the writers of Deadpool 1 and 2. Um, and Kyle calls in to talk about him returning to Assassin's Creed Valhalla. So please check out MinMax Council. Let us know what you think about it. Um, other quick plugs is we have a new episode of Crossfade coming up this Friday. And our special guest is a former guest of the MinMax show, Sarah Elmaleh who was on this podcast and it's very relevant because she was the main voice actor for Anthem, but also the voice actor going to Gone Home. And so on that episode of Crossfade, our standalone music podcast, uh, they're talking about The Cure and Beck. So you can subscribe to Crossfade on your favorite podcast app and let us know what you think. Matt Helgeson, former host of the Game Former Show, hosts it, and it's a very informative music podcast. And we have some great guests coming up on that show. Uh, we're kind of taking a small detour and focusing on video game composers. So some super exciting guests coming up. Um, Leo... New episode of Watch Later coming up on Friday? That's right, man. And what's the topic? It's ranking every operator in Siege, Leo Vader style. Pure jokes. Pure jokes, baby. That's sweet. 58 jokes. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Um, Also, uh, yeah, the deepest dive on Arkham Asylum. So if you want to join our game club for replaying Batman and Arkham Asylum, it'd be great if you've never played it. We'd love to hear more people's perspective uh, if it's the first time jumping in. Um, You can support us at Interior on Patreon and then submit a comment on March 8th will be for the first half of the game. So remember to stop when you get the line launcher in Arkham Asylum and then submit your comment on Patreon and we will read it on the show. And then you can also unlock the Patreon's exclusive podcast feed and get the podcast version of The Deepest Dive. All right. Thanks so much, everybody. And thanks to the following Patreon supporters. I'm talking about these people that support us at the $50 tier. And you know who they are. It's Will Cornelius, I'm 8-Bit, Jawar Hello, Mercurico Torreno, Moonface Nick, Zachary Pliggy, Beaten Down Brian, Seth, Ludwig Roque, Mark Seliga, Andrew Valla, Jesse Vitelli, Super Serious Sam, Thomas Hoster, Yarrow, Spiraling Your Eyes, Richard Smuts, Clint Farley, Spider Dan, Reetham, Preetham Yarla Gata, Clayton Myers. This just says you. In the future, I, that seems weird. Uh, Star Killer, Steve Bamdad, Slick Nick, and Alex Payne. Thank you so much, everybody. Uh, stay tuned for the bonus episode of the Minmax Show coming up in this feed very shortly, where we're going to be talking about the big reveals from the state of play. Thanks so much, everybody. Be good, have fun. Let's go. Mm-hmm.